Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Unsolved mystery, and I'm not talking about West Cork nor Sophie Tuscan de Plantier, but an unsolved mystery and death of a small little baby back in 1984. The Kerry Babies mystery uh, makes the front page of many papers today, including the Red Tops, because Gardy yesterday exhumed the little infant known known as Baby John, who's buried in the graveyard in Cahir Savine. You can visit his little grave. I do from time to time, little misfortune. He'd be, what would he be now? He'd be 37 years old. The unidentified newborn baby boy was found multiple injuries on the white strand. Now, they've exhumed the baby again. Uh, I won't go into too much graphic detail, but because apparently they're saying uh, with developments in DNA and technology, they want to take some samples from baby John's bones. It's just very, very sad because they think they may be able to move on the mystery and the investigation as to, you know, how he died, why he died and who killed him. So that's a story making many of the of the papers today. Uh, clearly, there is um, a, a very, very traumatic uh, inquest that uh, makes the newspapers also this morning. Um, and I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time with Barry Roach. It goes back to um, a, an accident, a, a car crash back in Glengariff uh, in August of last year, uh, which led to the lives of two men being taken. Their car veered off the road and ended up in a river. But one of the survivors, a fellow by the name of Fergal O'Sullivan, uh, was very ho- heroic and he actually saved the life of a fellow passenger. So I'll come back to that a little later on. But the echo carries a story of a 20-year-old man um, who uh, had to quit his job was unable to face people <clears throat> after a violent attack that started out as a prank. Again, I won't go through the graphic details of it, uh, but um, it did involve a, a bottle and it did involve taking down his pants and, and his underpants. It's very, very disturbing. And that's on the front and inside page of the, the Echo today. And the issues up around UCC continue to make the news. You heard it there in the nine o'clock news this morning there with the locals calling on UCC now to take responsibility and to do whatever it takes uh, to curtail antisocial behaviour. So that dominates the inside pages of, of the Echo, as does student accommodation or lack of it, I suppose, where students are struggling with Cork City rental prices. Uh, so they now, and not for the first time, have been couch surfing or staying extended stays in hostel accommodation, according to the uh, examiner this morning. So the papers also today talk of the um, ever-growing amount of greenways that we have, the ever-amount of cycle schemes that we have and, you know, walkways, which is a good thing. And that's a story that makes the examiner this morning where Owen English goes into it in quite some details. Worth checking out. Owen, and Simon Coveney makes the papers as well because he says that he's embarrassed. He says it hasn't been his finest month. Uh, and we all kind of would agree with that. But uh, with regards to coronavirus and vaccinations, uh, starting to see an awful lot more um, people now who are testing positive and getting sick, incidentally, even though they've been double jabbed. Matt Cooper, the inside pages of the Mail this morning, talks about the fact that he's double jabbed, he has coronavirus, and was awfully sick. Uh, he couldn't even breathe. He, he literally was absolutely crippled from it, as if he'd never had a jab at all. So the papers this morning also say that the chief medical officer's warning that you can't rule out restrictions if people even double jabbed or getting very, very sick because the vaccines on their own, they're saying, won't suppress the virus. The papers also were saying that pubs and nightclubs and restaurants could soon be allowed to stay open much later. There are restricted opening times at the moment and certainly when you bring back the nightclubs, we'll have to wait and see what happens then. But, uh, you know, a lot of people went on staycations, some went overseas, but when you look at last year and much of this summer, apparently uh, the kingdom, 
beat the rebel county when it came to the amount of summer visitors. They bait us. What can you do? Uh, they can bait us in the football and they can bait us in the holiday stakes. So that's a story that makes the examiner this morning. And apparently, those of you that are slaves to the iPhone, you might be interested to know that there is now an iPhone 13. I don't have an iPhone of Samsung and Android, but uh, many people who are loyal to them continue to buy the newest model as soon as it comes out. But there is a version of it which is said to be the most expensive Apple iPhone ever. It's coming in at 1,859 euro. I mean, would you be bothered? It has, what's a T-byte? Is that a terabyte? Like a thousand gigs, like an enormous memory storage on it. So I suppose if you get that, then you have to upgrade the Apple Watch because there's now an Apple Watch 7. Uh, but maybe some people are thinking, you know, I'm not going to be slaves to uh, commercial uh, commercials uh, or, or, you know, marketing anymore. In fact, I'm going to change my job because the Mirror this morning says that 42% of Irish workers intend to quit their job within the next 12 months, get better jobs or jobs that they actually like. And that's another example of the question that I've been asking with regards to people. What do you not want to keep from your pre-COVID life? The people above um, at Croke Park, you know the residents that live around it, they make the papers today because they're saying they're happy with three Garth Brooks gigs. They tolerate that. But they ain't going to tolerate five. And again, the papers are talking about Christmas warnings over toy shortages. And if you didn't know it, vegans break wind, flatulate apparently, a lot more than meat eaters. And they also, although at this time of the morning it's not the greatest thing to be talking about, ten past nine, vegans have bigger poos. I know. What can you do? It's out there now. You can never put it back in the bottle. The Neil Prenderville Show. I remember covering it at the time when the news reports were coming in of the accident down in West Cork. It was down in Glengariff, the N71. It was on August 3rd. It involved a group of young men who were all in the same car in the early hours of the morning. And it led, of course, to uh, to two deaths. Barry Road, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times, uh, was at the inquest and listened to the coroner, Frank O'Connell, and also the witnesses who gave evidence and he joins me by phone. Some of this could be harrowing. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Good, thank you. So we need to cast our minds back to that night of August 3rd when the lads had got together and went to um, a caravan park, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, they went out, a group of people, of young men and women, went out to Dolan's Caravan Park in Kenmare. They'd booked tables there and obviously this was during the period when the first lockdown had eased and people could go out and so yes, forth. Yes. So they went out on Sunday evening a group and it seemed to be in sort of a fluid situation in terms of numbers coming in there could have been up to 20 people there at Dowling's um, and they left around 12 midnight and they decided to go to an area called the Pauline it's a picnic area on the road back to Glengariff and again there could have been about 20 people there they had a, had a uh, um, a log fire um, or a fire log rather sorry and lit that and they were playing music on their phones and so forth and around 3.45 they started to split up and head home and there were four lads in a car driven by Tyke Murphy he's 19 or he was 19 from uh, Glengariff and the four were Luke Harrington who was in the front seat and then uh, a guy called Frickle O'Sullivan who was in the back seat with another man called Michael Bone whom they, they sort of met up with on the evening he was 40 and from uh, Kista and as they were coming back, we heard evidence from Fergal O'Sullivan yesterday at the inquest, and it was really extraordinarily dramatic evidence, I suppose, uh, harrowing evidence. He said, oh, they were coming back along the road, and um, from the pooling, sometime after quarter to four in the morning, and he said, uh, as they were rounding a bend on the way back to Glengariff, uh, Tyke Murphy seemed to 
car. Uh, he said, I recall some sort of a bounce in the car. Maybe the wheel clipped a rock on the left-hand side of the road and climbed it, causing the car to flip across the road. And after the car flipped across the road, it hit off something before we went down a drop. And he said the drop seemed to go on forever. And we heard later that there was a short stone wall there, but the wall was sort of, there was a gap in it and it went down there. The car plunged down almost four metres uh, before coming to rest on its roof in a river. And Mr. O'Sullivan, as I say, we heard his statement. He was there yesterday. The uh, sergeant uh, Louise Vaughan read it out, and he confirmed it. He said he was realised he, he realised he was upside down. The car suspended by his seatbelt, and he was drifting in outer consciousness before he discovered water flooding into the car. He said Tyg was conscious at the time, was screaming, saying he was sorry that he was. That's all he was saying. He was sorry. He was saying we were dead, that we were all going to die, and he was screaming that he was sorry. Uh, Fergus Sullivan managed to free himself from the seatbelt. The car was sloping forward, so the front of the car was more submerged in water, as it were. Uh, the bonnet was covered, and water started coming in and rising at the back of the car. He started shouting for help, and he was panicking. He said he tried to kick and shoulder the doors at the back, but he couldn't. And, of course, this was all happening in darkness as well. It was, uh, you know, four in the morning or there later. Um, he tried to get into a small pocket of air in the car when he, he noticed Luke Harrington floating in the car, and he jumped back in fright as he thought both Luke Harrington and Tyke Murphy were dead. And he could see no sign of, of Michael Bowen, who had been sitting beside him in the back. He managed to force open one of the doors and stagger out, and he turned around toward towards the submerged car then and he reached back in because he couldn't see the darkness and he felt the body so he grabbed the body and started to pull the person out um, I pulled this person out with me I didn't know who it was at the time it was dark I tried to pull the body up onto a rock near the driver's door but I kept slipping back I stopped then and checked to see if he was breathing and to see if his stomach was moving but he wasn't breathing he managed to get the man onto the rock and he began mouth to mouth resuscitation and he went on for about five minutes which is a long time and before the man spurted out some water from his mouth and he, Fergus Sullivan then turned his head sideways, keep his ear whistler. It turned out to be Luke Harrington. He said, Luke was responding to me then, and he was talking to me. He was crying, and he was saying, how did you save me? And I told him he was alive. He, Fergus Sullivan went back to the car to try to look for the others, but he had to go back to Luke Harrington because he was slipping off the rock back into the river. So that went on for a while. He eventually managed to... Luke Harrington came around more fully, I suppose, and they could see no sign of any life in the car or anything in the car so they, they staggered their way back up onto the bank and then back onto the road and then they I presume their phones were lost or damaged but they, they walked down into Glengariff then they called to a man called uh, George Pedgick living in, in Dalewood and he, uh, he woke him up and he raised the alarm about uh, half five the emergency services came back out for Glossalton back up there with George Pedgick and waited for the emergency services but tragically, uh, firefighters and paramedics, uh, they recovered the bodies of um, Ty Murphy, Ty Murphy and, and Michael Bowen, and they were both pronounced dead at the scene. So, um, Luke Harrington was taken to hospital. Uh, Fergus Sullivan was as well. Uh, Fergus had, Luke Harrington had some injuries, but he, he, he spent some time in hospital and recovered, and he was in court yesterday as well, and looked in, in, in physically to, to be okay, but obviously yeah. I presume that the, the emotional trauma of all this. Fergus Sullivan, uh, we heard from Dr. Sorry, I suppose we should say as well, uh, we heard from the forensic crash investigator, Gardner Mac O'Connor. He examined the scene of the accident. He said the maximum speed to take that right and bend safely was 58 kilometres per hour. And he said he could find no evidence to suggest that Tyke Murphy had exceeded that speed rounding the bend. Was he driving uh, his Volkswagen Jetta, I think? Uh, was it? A Volkswagen Jetta, yeah. And that was examined then by the PSV inspector, uh, Gardner John White. You know, we can see that the car was roadworthy. Yeah. Yeah. He checked the speeding, suspension, the brakes. 
and he found that they were all working uh, properly prior to the accident and that the car was roadworthy so that wasn't a factor in it either um, What did Frank O'Connell the coroner say? Well, Frank O'Connell we, we also heard from Dr Margaret Bolt the, the assistant the pathologist she carried up post-mortems on both um, Tyke Murphy and uh, Michael Moan she found that Tyke Murphy had 280 mils per cent of alcohol in his blood and a minute trace of cocaine in the system Michael Moan had about 137 mils of present alcohol in his blood and an equally small or minute trace of cocaine in his system uh, she agreed that alcohol and drugs could impair judgment and uh, reactions and so forth when she was asked by Dr O'Connell yeah. or by Mr O'Connell sorry Frank O'Connell the coroner she said that both men had actually suffered very few traumatic injuries in the in, in collision and they actually both had uh, died from acute cardiorespiratory failure due to drowning drowning, drowning. so uh, that was um, that was the cause of death and that the actual physical impact wasn't that severe on them. Uh, Frank O'Connell um, said that it was a desperate tragedy and he sympathised with both families but he said there was no avoiding the fact that lessons, there were lessons to be learned from it in that uh, there was no avoiding the fact that these deaths were associated with intoxication uh, after hearing that you know that they yeah, know. both had a, a drink um, uh, Dr. Bolster said that Michael Bones level was lower of alcohol and that would have been less impaired him as it were but Tyke Murphy was higher. Well, Michael Bowen was a passenger, Tyke Murphy. He was passenger, yeah. and Tyke Murphy was the driver. Uh, those roads are deadly, like the road from Canmere to Glengarriff. It's very windy, up and down, around the headlands and stuff like that. It's a windy road. It's a, yeah, and, you know, the, the drop wasn't that, I mean, it was 3.5 metres, which isn't huge, I suppose. God, the fact, oh it ended up in, in, in the water, and it sort of was reminiscent of uh, some other tragedies there and elsewhere. Uh, I know. Back in... Um, 2008 were three lads in Castle Bear oh it done by Castle no, I don't think drink or anything like that was a factor um, the drink wasn't a factor in that but their car went off into a shallow enough amount of water at Dunboy Castle it ended up on its roof and again three lads drowned there and obviously we had the situation then in North Cork in 2015 where um Geraldine and Louise Kennedy were hit by another car and obviously they, they were that's right caused. through the wall and, and up and, yeah through the wall and ended up upside down again in water but Frank O'Connell said yesterday after you know he commiserated sympathised with the families and he said it was a desperate tragedy notwithstanding the lessons that needed to be learned but he said there was no doubt that if it wasn't for Fergal O'Sullivan yesterday or in, back in August 3rd last year Luke Harrington would not be alive today no, and yeah. he, he sort of paid uh, full tribute to him for his heroic efforts uh, in getting him out of the car, getting him resuscitated, yes. giving him mouth to mouth, keeping him on the rock so he didn't slip back into it and then managing to bring him up uh, the bank to the road and back down to Glengarriff and uh, I mean you couldn't but admire the young man's tenacity and her and this all happened in darkness if you remember total darkness and panic and, he, and shock and everything shock and he had just come out of as he said when he went down first of all and landed in the, the water he was drifting out of consciousness for a period himself so he only sort of recovered as it were when he did all this and had the foresight and he didn't know who he was pulling out because it was dark but That's he grabbed right. the guy he pulled out and um, and you know it's uh, I mean extraordinary traumatic 
unimaginably stressful. I mean, we see it in television, you know, in the sort of in movies and things like that, but actually find yourself in that situation where you're left with only a small pocket of air and you're trying to That's draw right. that yeah. and kick out the back doors or the, 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 the rear doors of it. You know, so there's great credit due to him. And uh, as the coroner said, if it wasn't for him, uh, Luke Harrington, it could have been, it was, it was a terrible tragedy. As a well. terrible tragedy it in a split worse. second where two lives are snuffed yeah. out like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Barry, thank you so much for covering the inquest. Thanks for coming in here this morning as always. Barry uh, Roach, Southern Correspondent with the uh, Irish Times uh, and that uh, coroner's uh, court was held in Bantry, I believe, uh, yesterday. Lines are open at one 104 106 You can text 868 106 We'll pick it up after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. I also see that very little is uh, improving when it comes to the passport services in Ireland and I just want to acknowledge those people who have been getting in touch with uh, us regarding their own stories for them, family members, first-time passports or renewals and many of course have had to cancel overseas trips so more on that but I finished yesterday morning talking about uh, Cork City Council's statement that came in literally at two or three minutes to midday and thanks to them for coming back at all where they said and this is to do with Frankie the Birdman of, of Dawn Square I'll talk to him in a second but just to, to recap this council said there were a number of complaints they said a number of complaints were made by nearby businessmen sorry businesses I should say about the bird feeding at Dawn Square Cork City Council works with traders and stakeholders to resolve issues that arise around littering and nuisance issues to traders and the public alike. Uh, it's understood that a gentleman who likes to feed the birds in the area was asked by a member of Cork City Council staff if he would consider feeding the birds in another site, like for instance Bishop Lucy Park, because of the complaints by nearby businesses. He was not told that he would be fined and Cork City Council will not be issuing a litter fine to this gentleman. All the best, says uh, Cork City Council. So that really doesn't resolve the issue, really, apart from the fact that we know that he'll never be fined and he won't be issued with a litter fine. But it doesn't kind of resolve the issue, not just yet anyway, but it must come as some relief to Frankie to know that he's not going to be getting 150 euro fines. So he joins me by phone. Frankie, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Neil. So that must come as some relief anyway you won't oh, be getting. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. means I can just carry on out like him and feed him. But I don't be there for a long time, you know. It's what, 10 or 15 minutes. But uh, how was yesterday? How did you get on yesterday? Yesterday was outstanding, great backing and everything. Our team were there. And uh, Paul, you know, Paul Borden. From Virgin Media News. That's right. Yeah, he yeah. was there also. And I mean, so it was it was absolutely great back and all together. Yeah. And from the public also. Okay. Were there any council staff there or anything like that? I didn't see any of them. Okay. And did you feed them the, the pigeons I as normal? The pigeons. I fed, I fed the pigeons and our team were there taking me, uh, taking it all in camera. And uh, Paul Borden was there with his crew. Okay. So they, they still would prefer if you moved to Bishop Lucy Park. And I suppose some of the businesses would prefer as well. Are you going to stay where you are, Frankie? Yeah, I think I'd like to stay where I am. Yeah, yeah. It's only a matter of about, say, 10 to 15 minutes and that's it. I'm, I'm gone then. Yeah, and that, when you're gone, somebody comes in and cleans it and there's no sign. Well, there's, there's no... Yesterday, no, I was definitely... I was only there for three hours and I was feeding the pigeons and, it was, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a bit of stuff and nothing there. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Spot clean, spot the sea clean when I, when I came there and spot the sea clean when I was leaving. Okay, okay. So they just would like you to consider going somewhere else, but um, you won't be fined and you'll never be issued with a litter fine. So that's where we're at with this. Uh, you I must. that's great now. Yeah. I spoke, to, I spoke to a cousin of yours yesterday. He was, was yeah. that your lovely fella? Yeah, telling me that, some, was that, was that Bobby? 
off, off the top of my head, I can't remember his name, but he was telling us that you, you worked up in the old juries for years. I worked in juries hotel for 10 years. Yeah, and that you were, obviously you were overseas in Africa because you told me all about that. I was overseas in Africa then with, 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 with my regiment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd and say that, juries might have been an interesting place to work because it was quite posh back in the day, wasn't it? Well, I tell you now, seriously speaking, it was absolutely brilliant. And where I was, where I was now, I was walking up in the Fastenal restaurant. The Fastenal. And the Fastenal. So if you and your wife now come in and uh, for a meal, and I'd cook what you uh, say, water, steak, Diane, or a Gaelic steak, or a Chateaubriand, whatever. Yeah. I'd cook that at the table. That's right. That's yeah, right. It was, it, was, it was exclusive dining. But I tell you now, Niall, That's to be right. quite honest with you, when I went to Jury's Hotel and I saw that menu, I didn't have a clue. You know, but I mean, I made good friends up there. There was one chap there, he was the restaurant, the restaurant supervisor and manager. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank O'Donovan was his name. Yeah. And he took me under his wing and he showed me the whole lot about flan base and just that and everything else. How to cook the steak, how to yeah, add the brandy, how to, how to light it. And everything else. I didn't have a clue when I went there first and I ended up and they were even queuing up to come in to me. That's amazing. Yes, it was Robert, your cousin, was telling us that story that's yesterday that's in fairness yeah. to Bobby. That yeah. was great. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, I mean, so I made great friends up there. But then, of course, I had to leave then. You know, the old man was here with me and uh, he, was, um, he, had, he had multiple myeloma cancer tomorrow. So I had to come, come out then for the last few months. To mind your dad, was it? Uh, well, I was looking after him for seven years, uh, Niall. He had a stroke. He had a stroke. And uh, when he was diagnosed with a stroke, uh, he had what you call multiple myeloma. It's a cancer yeah. of the marrow. Yeah, yeah. But you were there for him through all of and that. I was there for, for the whole six, six and a half years. And the Holy Well out in Killeen's. That's an and interesting... the Holy Well out in Killeen's. Uh, I was looking after that then for 15 years. Is that an ancient well? It goes way it's, back, does it? It's dated back to 17, 1761. Do you like it out there? Oh, but loved it. Loved it. I, I, don't, I the place absolutely immaculate. Yeah. There was a woman actually moved into a cottage out there, a very old, old cottage. And she used to meet you regularly out there and you'd have the chats and everything. Do you remember her? Yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. And uh, now I had even Bishop Buckley, John Buckley. I had him out there too. Ah, lovely stuff. I got him out too because we had, we had two masses out there. We had two masses out there. And I tell you, no, it was just brilliant. You don't, um, you don't intend moving anyway. You're going to stay there. Oh, I'm going to stay there, there, now, boy. I'm going to stay there. Yeah, okay. I, I you know. And if they come to me then and, and say to me that, that I have to, well, I will do. I'll go down to Bishop Lucy Park. But you'd prefer to stay where you are. I'd prefer but to stay in Don Square. It's just only a matter of 15 minutes and that's it. I know, it's but I think one or two of the businesses are worried about, about pigeon poo falling into pints or on top yeah, of food. Really, and uh, oh, in the name of God, could they do that? <laughs> I don't know. No, no, for God's sake, in the name of God. I don't and know. Niall, I'll say this now to you now. If... if if pigeons are the only thing that will ever worry them in this life, they have nothing to worry I about. I know. But anyway, we want, we know for sure you're going to continue to feed them, and for now you're going to continue in Dawn Square. Oh, I'm going to continue in Dawn Square unless they put the pressure on me. You know? no, we'll see what happens in that regard. But All stay right. in touch, Frankie. Have a great day today. Off you go. Cheers, Niall, Niall. Yeah. Before you go here, thanks for everything. Not at all, as always. Thank you so much. Lovely chatting with you. And a great day yesterday, did Frankie. He was um, all over the television and all over the papers and online media as well yesterday. And it was great from lots of texts on it, actually, which I want to come back to. But Seamus took to the streets of Cork yesterday because we started the show yesterday with the news that Frankie, the birdman of Don Square, was being moved or was being asked to move or was being threatened with fines after four years of feeding the pigeons in the city after the complaints uh, regarding health and safety. So we ended the show 
getting a promise from City Hall that they wouldn't fine him and, and things like that and he could continue to do what he... But there is a kind of a, a gentle suggestion from them that he might consider going to Bishop Lucy Park. So that's where we're at with it. But Seamus took to the streets of Cork after the show yesterday to see what the public's opinion was regarding feeding the birds in the open spaces. Have an aced. <laughs> What's your opinion on, on people feeding birds in public? I don't really agree with it They're in dirty. public. No. It they them mark all the ground. And you can see the problem with seagulls in every other part of Dublin and all, like really. So, you know, they've become very aggressive. So you're only attracting them by feeding them. I think he should be able to feed the birds and not be bothered by anybody. I don't think he's doing any harm. And uh, I think he's more than entitled to feed the birds wherever he pleases. Do you not think that they're uh, health, uh, health um, not really. hazard I mean, with I'd, people dining outside? Uh, I mean, they look around, they're all over the place anyway. Look, they're up there looking down at us. So, giving them a right to eat, I don't see that there's any harm in it. <coughs> well, there's, there's far and against it. Um, Frank has done a lot to contribute to, to car charities in recent years. Does it put him in a special position? Of course it does. Does it give him the right to continue to do what he's doing? Given the fact that um, it may be affecting businesses locally, it may be contributing to, to litter within the city. Um, I think we need to get further investigation. We need to get deeper into this. Given the situation at the moment where health and safety, particularly with the COVID and that, is, is up there in terms of news and media. Frank is a baker, but he comes into town, throws half a bag of seed on the ground and goes home, and he doesn't see what happens afterwards, so we have to clean the mess up because of the last six or eight months or lockdown and the whole lot. He still had the free reign on Dawn Square, but now things are back open enough. Birds probably creatures of habit, and they wait for him to be fed. And then they're hanging around all day and they're pooling when the feathers are going everywhere. Literally, I don't know how you how, not encourage really, like you know. And I guess if you do look up pigeons and they do carry viruses, and, you know, there's kids all around here. They're, plus, the fact they're flying very low in around the streets, and it won't be long before they will be an accident. I suppose uh, it was all about safety, it's about safety, but. I mean, he's still no harm feeding the birds. I can't see what he should stop him if he's done it all his life. It's a bit late now to start stopping them, isn't it? Yeah, but they can allow the place and maybe somewhere in the park or somewhere else so they can feed over there. Like, so. I think the birds, the birds need to find their own food. It's better for them. I think it's just because of COVID now and people are eating outside now. But if it was any other place, like deals or the other places, I don't see any problem with the pigeons being around there at all. I mean, I think people are more concerned now because of the COVID, you know, like they're a little bit more paranoid with all the germs and all of that. I mean, like we fed the pigeons even ourselves loads of times, so, you know, but maybe now um, it's probably more of a concern, yeah, with COVID. It's, it, it's a tourist attraction in London in Trafalgar Square. And some, somebody somewhere has got their back up here. Frank has done no harm to no one. I know Frank has been doing this for the last four years. But, like, I think a lot of the businesses are worried that when we've outdoor dining now, that the pigeons are kind of swooping down, they're pooping, they're but feathers going everywhere. You, you have the same problem with seagulls on at the seaside. Coming, the seagulls are getting brave, they're coming up because Peter. How can you stop that from happening? Frank is doing no harm, it's a tourist attraction in other cities in the world, and 
I'll be quite honest with you, the people eating out, that's wonderful. Great. They're taking up a lot of the pavement. I push along in a buggy there and you can't get by. That's a, that's a bigger nuisance to me than Frank feeding the pigeons. Feed the birds, top a bag. Toppence, toppence, toppence. By the way, hasn't Julie Andrews the most gorgeous, gorgeous voice? Thank you, Seamus, from the streets of Cork yesterday. It's fair to say that not everybody, I think a couple of people there were traders or business people, not everybody 100% on board with Frankie, the birdman of Don Square. Vast majority of people, yes. Um, incidentally, among those who made a complaint to the city manager is Donald Mannix, a well-known Castle Street trader at Mannix Fashion Shops. And he says he's not alone. Uh, as other traders are also unhappy with what Frankie, uh, as regular bird feeding, is doing. He says, my objection is that we are feeding vermin on wings and they are breaking into people and they are breaking into people's houses, taking slates off the roofs and the whole and the whole lot at enormous cost. Um, Mr. Manick said he wants the city council to patrol the streets properly and ensure that these vermin are not fed. Be lovely to chat with Donald, uh, but the phone isn't answering this morning, so maybe I'll have an opportunity because very interested to hear about and um, what he says, he says, my objection is that we are feeding vermin on wings. They are breaking into people's houses and taking slates off the roofs. That's kind of a quote that you give to human beings, isn't it? Pigeons breaking into houses and taking slates off the roofs. And the whole lot of it is at enormous cost. Um, okay, so that, that's what he's witnessing. So that's his opinion and he's entitled to it. Frank, my neighbour, a great man, full of the joys of life. This country is a disgrace. We can't let people have happiness anymore. Fair play to Frankie. I think it's a lovely thing to do. His passion for wildlife is lovely. So what if there's a few feathers and poop, for God's sake? What is it with people? I'd sooner see on that on the streets than dog poo, human excrement, or worse still, drug paraphernalia. To the phone lines we go on this, because uh, there was a massive response to it yesterday. Debbie, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? You, you describe Frankie as a gent, and that's a nice he way to describe him. He is a somebody. legend. Yeah. How do you know him? Um, I know Frank, I'm working in Daybreak on North Main Street for the last five and a half years. Lovely. Um, and Frank is a regular customer, customer to me. Now he's in five days of the week and he is an absolute character. He lights up the streets of the Holocaust. Does he come into you with his little dog? His, what, he does, with Dripsy, which he calls his princess. And I hope he's listening to me <laughs> so that I can't speak well enough about him and let him know that the whole of Cork is behind him. Yeah, to help him. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yes, ever see him feeding? What? There is a couple of negative nellies I heard on the ad that I've been listening to. But in all fairness, me, slaves been taken off their roots by birds. Come on. Well, well, there is, <coughs> there is on-street dining, you see, Debbie, and uh, maybe the, some of the businesses are kind there of like... There is, and that's great to see, that Neil, and pests, the way that we like, went through a pandemic and the way that the shops were closed and they were shut and they were hit terribly with it. So they are in places to put out this face and explain about the outdoor dining and how the birds are landing down and everything like this. Yeah. But hasn't Frank been standing in Dawn Square a lot, lot longer than this pandemic? And none of them complained. So now he has to stop his livelihood and doing what keeps him going at 81 years of age, yeah. 15 minutes a day, and they complain about it because now they have to bring in their money from people that sit outside. 
What about what he's doing good for Cork the last four years? He hasn't been, there's been no complaints gone in. There's a lot more things to be worried about going on in the streets in the city, I would have exactly. thought. Exactly. Would you? He's on about birds robbing slates off roofs. There's human beings walking into their shops and they're robbing stuff, jumping their litter right outside their doors. Are the Cork City Council complaining any of them or yeah. making a highlight to this on yeah. any of those? Yeah. Frank is doing something good for the streets. It's an attraction. There's kids passing by, they love it. They he's do. known to everybody. He's known all around the country. But you know what? He's known uh, to everybody in this would, this would all be resolved, say, for, and I'm not telling him to do anything, don't get me wrong, but if he went to Bishop Lucy Park, there'd be no more hassle from anyone. But is that not Cork City Council property? Which? Bishop Lucy Park. It, it is, yeah, yeah. So why are they complaining to themselves? No, Do I'm saying... people to clean the streets? Yeah. Cork City Council workers? So are they emailing? Are they complaining to the council? Are they complaining... No, I just think if you have somebody in? trying to have a latte or a cappuccino or whatever on, on Dawn Square or in and around the Colcade, they might be just a bit fed up. It's bad enough. Look, they could. It's very, it's very frustrating. Again, I heard on your ad, if we're sitting down by the seaside and if we're sitting by the beach and if we're sitting outside dining, there's flies around you 24-7, there's seagulls, there's birds. You can't do anything about it because you're by the seaside. But because Dawn Square needs to change due to the pandemic, which is quite understandable for businesses to stay open and for them to take in the money and make a living. Yeah. But that this is Frank's living. Frank's living is walking in town for 15 minutes. Well, it's his happiness and mental health. And he also makes other people feel has. good. Yeah. Get a grip and let him... You say get a grip, let him enjoy his days. Let him enjoy his days. It's 15 minutes. They have from All 9 right. to 9 on open hours. It's 15 minutes. Let the man enjoy. He's a character. He's known to the whole of Kirk. Let me get some more texts on the air after the break. He is an absolute gentleman. He served for the country. He's worked in jewellery. He walked the Lee Fields. In around the cold here, everybody knows him. Yeah. He lights up North Main Street, and that's one of the dullest streets, and he lights it up. He's a character to every single one of us. Yes, and nobody wants to, but we want more characters. We don't want to see them all dying off. Listen, you know? there's been so much negativity about it. Why do we have to highlight something that's so good and turn it into another negative thing? All there's right. no need for it. Okay. There's been no councillors there yesterday. Now, thanks be to God, he's not getting the fine. But again, you need to question, why are they moving him to Dawn Square? Why are they moving him from Dawn Square and into Bishop Lucy Park? Isn't that not a public park where people sit with lasses, get their outside day? There's no businesses in there, you see, and the businesses around Dunn Square and Castle Street. What? Is there benches to sit down with your food? And you can sit down with a coffee in there with your food? Well, true enough. You can sit down there and eat. So if he's told to feed the birds in there, what are they supposed to do? Just get away with them because normal humans that are good souls. Well, he's staying put in Dawn Square for now. We shall see. Frank, stay as you are. We're all here to support you. All right. Take care, Debbie. Cheers. Take care. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086 8104106. Red FM. We'll come back to text in a few minutes' time, but I'm mad keen to talk to Kieran Gould, who was uh, down around uh, Dingle yesterday on what looked like an absolutely glorious day. I'm looking at the photographs that he sent me back with blue skies and sunshine. Anyway, Kieran, good morning. Yeah, good morning, how are you? I mean, it was a super day, wasn't it? What's with the weather yesterday? All right, like, it was about 24 degrees down there. It was oh raining all the way down when we got down there, the sun came out. That's unbelievable. Right. I mean, it's just yeah. so different to the weather we were getting yesterday afternoon, what you got in Dingle. Anyway, why were you there and who turned up? Uh, what's the end there? Um, Road Bowls Island there. There's a girl there, um, Michelle Smith. She started a, a Facebook page, Road Bowls in Ireland, 12 years ago. She's from Armagh, but she's living in Mill. But she, she's live-streaming scores, uh, all the big scores, like, you know? Yeah. So there's people that can't get out, that bowled years ago, can't get out to go bowling. They're old, low, and they can't walk, right? Like, 
they can watch the bowl and open their own front room, like, you know. Isn't that good? Yeah. And uh, what's next? We have over 10,000 followers now at the moment. But we were there, um, uh, well, uh, I live streamed the score for the house a couple, of, a couple of weeks back, about six weeks back. I share uh, Eamon Bowen then came in. He's a lunatic, the same fella. He's, he's got a good commentator, like, you know. But he came in and he, he recorded the score. He did live stream the score that I was playing in. And I got 243,000 views. <laughs> so, so what's the name? I was playing down Calgary Lightning. I was banned for 16 years and I was back and I'm banned against what? Why? Why? I don't know. I love to come on and talk to you about it. I, I got suspended in 2006. <laughs> I, play, I played a, a score down in, um, down in Ballingale. And uh, there was a small dispute <laughs> at the start. I did a dispute with the secretary. I, thought, well, I won't go into uh, too much detail, but the dispute... <laughs> He was a girl. He was a girl. All right. Well, let's let's leave that. I I can talk to you about that off the air. And maybe see if we could do. But you got banned for like how long? I got a two year ban. You know, right? All Listen right. to this, no, right? I got a two year ban. If I ever did your office in the morning and I killed three or four of these, I'd be out of jail after fifteen years. I was sixteen years done, and I'm still not back bowling. <laughs> but you were bowling yesterday because I heard you were falling into ditches with Freddie Flintoff well, yeah. and Jamie Redknapp. Oh yeah, but what's the name? Anyway, we we'll go back to that. Uh, I was um, oh, what's the name? Michelle got a, a, a message from a league of their own. You know, that's a sport with Freddie Flintoff. Yeah, um, yeah. The Jimmy Redknapp, yeah. Rash, uh, Ramos, he's the, the hateful. But they wanted to come over and take part in road bowling exhibition. So they wanted to Michelle. So we went down to East score. We met the cast and it was all, we had to keep it quiet because they didn't want crowds there because they wouldn't be able to control it, like, you know? Yeah. But we went down, we shot two, two or few bowls, and there was eight of us in the group, you know, like in the uh, and administration, like, so we all went down, we met them, they threw the Castro bowls, and they were happy over it. So who was like, throwing? Freddie Flintoff, Jamie Redknapp, and uh, Patrice Evra, was Ramis, it? Patrice Evra is their special guest, and Ramis, he's, um, he's the host, you know, he's the host. He's, and were they handy? They were, they were, I tell no, they weren't bad, I tell no, that's the first time ever catching a bowl, like, you know, yesterday, yesterday, like. Who was the handiest of them? Flintoff uh, would have to be as a cricketer, wouldn't he? No, he was he was he was the fastest. But uh, Ramos, Ramos, he was uh, he was he was the straightest one of like you know. <laughs> he was accurate, like you know. He's an Indian. Uh, he, he's I'm sure he's Indian. But uh, what's the anyway, We went up the road to smile, but anyway, and the ball went into the ditch. <laughs> so I went in to pick out the ball, but there was a file about four or five foot. I went down <laughs> into the ditch. I fell, in, I fell in right and I thought the cameras come up and go and the boys were running up to us and I said boys get me over here past the fuck's sake I said great for TV <laughs> yeah so they were getting me over there and Jamie came up and Freddie threw him in, in outside me <laughs> and so and he jumped in the top of um, the top of um, Jamie and someone threw Ramish in then as well the treatment was like, oh yeah. for God's sake all sorts of cameras they were like kids they were like kids I don't know they're the nice, they were the nicest people I ever met. They were dressed don't up, like, you know. And did you retire to Paddy O'Shea's bar then, I hear, is it? That's right. We were back there afterwards, then, there. We, we had a grub there, then, afterwards. So, my first time ever down on that direction. And oh, then, it's that a, was a nice part of the It's a lovely people, part right? of the world. And would you, th- I mean, did they know anything about bowling in the UK, no? Uh, there's, there's bowling, there's bowling over in, uh, in Dagnum. Uh, Irish, Irish fellas are bowling over in Dagnum, down Landers Lane. So there's bowling there, but they never seen it before, like, you know? Yeah. They were looking stupid, like, you know? But yeah. they, they, they had the time to life. You know that they enjoyed themselves, and they mixed with everyone, and it was great fun. Is bowling thriving now on the roads of Ireland again? 
it's 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 I used to be in bed at nine o'clock at night time if I was playing a Sunday, like, you know? Yeah. But you're, how can you tell a 17 year old now what the major of playing the school in the morning? They might be out drinking, off sick, and girlfriends or something, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, times are but, changing, aren't they? It's unfortunate, oh, yeah, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. They're not dedicated, though, like, you see, so it's hard, it's hard to give them in, like, you know? But great photographs. Just great work, though. This Michelle girl there, she'd be lovely if I had to talk to her, and he, um, Michelle, Michelle Smith. Well, you've done a damn fine job of it yourself, and I've got the pictures up on Facebook and Twitter of you and all of the celebs in the videos and Jamie Redknapp yeah. I mean they look fit then fellas like they're fit oh, I tell you Jesus he's a fine looking fella yeah. he, he, he nearly told me he like that enough said I tell you he, I, but he, I asked him for to take a photograph he took the phone on me and he said we do a video you, you, I said the video and the he I, I'd walk no one he said give me that I tried to do a video I said I don't mind we're talking then like, you know, but Andre, like, very approachable guys very and, approachable and they were taking selfies and he done a video then with me like, you know? are they gone now or where are they do you know they're, um, they're gone up to um, uh, Portlease or something like that they're going plowing they're plowing today like <laughs> <laughs> but they'll start in the, the road trip now, like for the next the next season, like do you know what I mean? Ah, yeah, they're filming for next but, season. Anyway, but they must have to come back in. They were mad, mad for us. And well, then uh, there was a cop there then at the end, and Ramish never won anything in his life, and he grabbed the cup. He won, so he's keeping the cup. He said he's not giving it to Freddie. He was right. playing, but he was playing with Freddie in the double handle against Jamie and. Um, Please. Well, I'm glad that you were part of it because uh, when it gets on TV, an awful lot of people will see road bowling for the first time, and you never know, yeah. it might spark an interest in young people. You'd never know. Oh, yeah, but, but no, but since Michelle, they all know, like me, that she started this page there, and the last couple of months, there's people all over the country. When you're going live streaming, they're coming in from Australia, they're coming from all over the world, they're watching this on live streaming, like, do you know what I mean? Amazing. And people yeah. then, I mind, I mind the admin, like, and you see all the messages coming in. People want to know where's the nearest road to them like that. They love their game. And it's just, where can you, you buy a bowl? <laughs> yeah, that's how all these things are coming. Like, but if you were to know Ian Bourne and Michelle, they do the commentary. The other one is fantastic, mate. All right, you okay. sit down and listen to him. He's uh, the two of them, but Bourne is. God only knows what comes over his mouth. He's worse to me, like. And how can pe- how can people get in touch or watch those? What, where is that? Road Bowls Ireland, just uh, on Facebook. All right, but Road Bowls Ireland. I tell you, you should go to me there. There's the Munster Senior Championship, as I know, at 2 o'clock um, next Sunday, right? It's down in Ballivorney. But if you, if you click into that, you, he be commentating, Borny, you sit down and you will enjoy him for the day. I tell I'll check he, him out. I'll check him out. He's good for a laugh. All right, Kieran, yeah. glad you had a great day yesterday. It must have been great Thank to be God, part right. of it. Cheers, pal. Take care. Take care. Take care. Take care. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Uh, they tell me of the pictures now on Facebook and Twitter of all the celebs in case any of you want to Google or Google Jamie Redknapp and others. Uh, they look fine, they look fit and they look well and they certainly were enjoying the road bowling like Frankie was enjoying feeding the birds yesterday. I just rang Frank. He's an absolute gentleman and an extremely good friend. I also rang him to let him know I would take care of any fine he gets if he gets one. Keep on feeding the birds, Frank. Morning, I chat to Frankie every Sunday morning up the Lee Fields. He walks from Cork to Cork 
Cove every year for charity as part of the Cork to Cove road race. This is a disgrace to complain the man from Dawn Square tried to impose a fine on him. More prudent for the council to go up to Spring Lane and find the people who continuously destroy the local area of Ballyvalan with actual litter. And even though the area of Spring Lane was cleaned up and thousands were spent doing so, they want to fine an elderly man who feeds the pigeons it's a wonderful scene to watch, you know, as the kids watch on in awe. Bunch of imbeciles behind this decision. Well, uh, a lot has changed since those texts were sent in. Maybe the council would be better off sending their litter warder to College Road. Leave the birdman alone. What if the birdman put the seed on the floor and let the birds take it? Technically, technically, he wouldn't actually be feeding them. Why is it okay to feed grain to the birds out the lock? And this man gets fined for feeding birds in the city. Be more in Cork City Council's mind to find those who are actually littering the city with syringes and drug paraphernalia instead of going after them, this man. Or maybe that's too much work for them. Is Cork City Council's priority with all that's been gone in the last 18 months? All they can come up with? Shame on the council who made this decision. I have no issue with Frankie freeing the birds, but in fairness, he is outside the eating areas for the likes of McDonald's, where families and kids are eating. Maybe go to the Northgate Bridge area. Uh, throughout this, the world, cities are trying to get rid of pigeons because of the mess they cause. Uh, let Frank feed them at home if he wants. A great show. I hope he gets sorted. So not everybody actually in agreement with feeding the bird birds. Uh, leave the man, feed the birds. Why are people so intolerant these days? It's not as if the man is there all day obstructing business, is it? It's like we're living in a communist country. Everything is slowly being taken away from us. He's not allowed to do this, do this simple act. Uh, Anthony here, isn't it great that the enforcement officers in the city can lay down the law to an old man but where is the law for the thugs on our streets going around openly drinking, doing drugs and beating people up in broad daylight? There's no one to sort them out, I see. Why? Because they're afraid of our youngsters now. Stop harassing an innocent guy feeding the birds. And one final one. As an employee of Cork City Council, let me tell you, it is the businesses complaining about Frank, not the council or the council staff. We are all very fond of Frank and we don't mind cleaning the area afterwards. We do it day in, day out. So Cork City Council workers are not in any way bothered by feeding the birds. Thank you for that. Text 0868 104 106. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Music Station of the Year. You're on Cork's Red FM. A lot of other texts and different topics, actually, that um, were related to topics we've been talking about on the air, including the College Road uh, and the carrying on and the parting. It's like it's like Groundhog Day. Every year, year in, year out, same story has been covered in this. Uh, the law should apply to everyone. It's just not good enough. Every year, third-level students are allowed to do as they please and are above the law. I don't blame the Gardaí because they obviously get their orders and they follow orders. This madness has to end and every year it's getting worse. I'm so glad Catherine Clancy has finally acknowledged personal responsibility on behalf uh, of students. Uh, kind regards as always, Anthony. As in, I don't know, she's been saying that for a long, long time, that it's the personal responsibility, obviously, of the students to behave themselves. But she's also turning up the heat on the college, which is a good thing. I wonder if you could ask the superintendents and the guards why students are not arrested or fined. We had a murder on Bandon Road, a stabbing on Magazine Road, and a girl bottled a few weeks ago. It's out of control and rapidly getting worse. If we're not going to arrest or charge third-level students because it will affect their future career, we should also do the same for young people from socially deprived areas. 
The law is the law. If students know there's no consequence for their action, then things will only get worse and worse, says Tony. Something has to give on College Road. Enough is enough. Uh, it seems as if you won't be happy until the college students are all in jail. Uh, would you give it a rest, Neil? Okay, there you have it. A selection of texts to 0868-104-106. To the phone lines we go. Pamela, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Grand. I'm grand, but I would be. I have a passport. What's your own situation? Who is the Who is the issue with? Um, so basically, I'll just give you a quick rundown. Um, we booked a holiday back in 2019 prior to any COVID. Uh, we booked it for September 2020. Um, and if you remember back in February, March of 2020, all the, the real restrictions kicked in and my daughter was born in April 2020. Right. Um, so obviously we knew we weren't we were going on holidays on September, um, the one that we had booked, because uh, we couldn't apply for any passports up to then because they were only just turning over essential passports. Which so when did you apply? June, was it? So, yeah, so we were initially meant to fly 7th of June this year, um, which obviously I couldn't get a passport because they weren't doing uh, first-time applicants. Um, so then we had to change that flight out to this the 18th of September. So I went to the local post office. The girl told me that they were no longer doing um, the paper application. So yeah. I was doing one online um, and fill out this form. So she gave me the form. I went to the guards, filled out all that criteria, sent it off. So six weeks into um, when my application was submitted, I just said I ring them just to see with everything okay. And that was June just gone, wasn't it? June just gone, Gotcha. Okay, six weeks into an eight-week turnaround, you got in touch, right? Yeah, so I got in touch. um, The agent told me everything was fine. Ring back a few weeks uh, prior to flying. So after 10 weeks, I rang back. Now, bear in mind, nobody had contacted me from any passport office at that time. And then I was told, I spoke to a lovely girl called Ellen. Ellen informed me that I had sent the incorrect form which basically had the same information as the form they would get, say, from your post office or guard station. Um, the only thing that I didn't send up that wasn't specified on the form they would get from the guard station was uh, a birth cert from myself and my husband. So that was on the 24th of August. And when I asked why didn't anybody contact me... No one me, got in touch, yeah. Nobody got in touch. And her answer was, eventually they would have contacted you. Which, to be honest, I thought wasn't acceptable. But anyway... So I what happens in a case like that when they don't contact you? Do you go to the back of a queue or, or what happens? So... That was on the 24th of August. I went off again, got Holly's form signed again, sent it in, posted on the 27th, sent my husband's birth cert. They received him on the 29th of August. So I just basically rang them, just asking what's the plan. Oh, you'll go back to the end of the queue. Which I thought was so unfair, first of all. Would they not, like, say, pause an application, give you a few days to even resubmit the forms that you're missing? But to be told you're in the back of the queue after waiting for two months, two weeks, with no contact... And we're flying on the next Saturday. And you're mad for a break after all we've been through. And you've you been through maternity and everything. Everyone is obviously after being through a tough time. I'm yeah. not saying poor me. But like no, I'm I know that. In the very harsh restrictions. My whole maternity leave was under restriction. In May I went back to work. And it was only then the restrictions were only lifting. So I genuinely thought by applying in June, I would most certainly have an application or a passport by the 18th of September. July, August, September. You would think like 90 days, three calendar months at least. Um, yeah. And so what? when's the flight? So my flight is Saturday, the 18th of September. And you call, did you get on to local politicians? They have hotline. So I've got on there after being so good. They have been working so hard trying, but it's just basically their answer is that you shouldn't have booked a flight. But like, I'm trying to tell them that my flight was booked obviously back in 2019 when you would have thought obviously no COVID, you could turn a passport over quick enough. But like, it's actually changed. It's my third time changing out the flight. Where are you going? Or where, where do you hope to go? Where is it? So we're actually going to Campbell's and Salou. This is why I booked the last week in September because it's the last week for kids' entertainment and it's a very popular resort. Is it a lovely resort, yeah? 
absolutely beautiful. So, like, obviously, I have a little boy at three, and Holly was born, as I said, in April. So I would love to get away just for a break. And I said there's probably hundreds out there like me looking for a break. But I, I wasn't looking for any favours back in June when I applied for an application. I was just looking for it to be turned over in the appropriate time that was... At least I know, I know. You know, the problem, of course, is that actually, you know, you can you can go online and look at what stage your application is at. Have you done that? Pending, printing I, in the post, all that kind of stuff. No. Yeah. So basically, when it was um, say the initial time that I put it in, um, so when I applied on the tenth of June was when the initial application went in. They told me a, a, an estimated time frame, which I know it's only estimated was the seventeenth of July. Um, and then when I resubmitted again, say on the twenty and um, twenty ninth of August, it pushed out to the first of November. Oh, for God. And is that where it's at now, 1st of November? That's exactly where oh, it's at. Oh, for God's sake. Like, you're not so going nice to. when you ring them, and some of them are just so arrogant. Um, I know. Like, I know they're bombarded with passports, and I know that, but, like, it's not that I sent it in last minute, or it's not that I booked the holiday two or three weeks ago and expected... And what, who gets priority, for instance? Would it be somebody going to a funeral that needs a passport? Do they get um, it faster? Which is understandable. Anyone, say, bereavement or any medical or any of those... Medical emergency, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And look, he told me that what they do, it doesn't matter really. This agent I spoke to about two or three weeks ago, he, d- he told me literally what they do is they're trying to turn off the quickest one first to try clear the backlog. So my attitude is, what's the point putting it in back in June if they're not going to go back? I know, but it's very frustrating to be actually speed. talking to somebody who could speed it up for you and they're not able to do it or won't do it or can't do it, you know? Very frustrating. It is, yeah, and they yeah, they're working from home. A lot of them can't, so they can't contact departments, if you know what I mean. So, like, say, one scans, one checks. What I've been told is that they can't contact one another. Which and yeah, how many days have you now left? Three. No, Three. And again, I couldn't cancel flights because I thought I might get it in time. I couldn't cancel my accommodation because um, obviously I thought I would be getting my passport within time. So now, obviously, if I don't go on Friday, you lose your flights and you lose your... Oh, uh, no. And who's your local like TD that. then that you had working on that for you? So I had spoke to uh, William O'Leary, my own counsellor, which would be Portico Sullivan's office. Yeah. And in fairness, Donica O'Leary has reached out. Um, so a lot of people have reached out, but like that's unnecessary work for them. I don't think they should be trying to... Passport. We contacted the passport service in relation to your query and they they confirmed that they have been in contact with you. They suggest that you contact the customer service hub directly to further discuss their passport application. Uh, okay. What, what do you think of that? I'll ring, them. I'll ring them again this morning. That's no problem. Like, even at that, it's so hard to get through to their lines. You could be trying, like, you, it's by chance I nearly have to ring them so much you'd even might get through at like say 3 o'clock in the evening other than that it's just constantly um, they're saying that you should contact the customer service hub directly at DFA this is the www.dfa.ie forward slash passport forward slash contact are you aware of that? yeah so I'll get in contact with them again that's as much as I can do at this point in time okay, and, and let's see if that makes a difference feel free to hold on a second if you wish Shirley morning Neil. is your daughter going dancing to Glasgow is it? Irish dancing? Yeah. Uh, disco dancing. Disco dancing. contemporary, yeah. So, um, disco I, dancing. Is that a disco yeah. dancing competition? Yeah, disco dancing competition in Glasgow. They go on all over the world. We're I up didn't, to a few of them. I didn't know that. Forgive me. I'm glad to hear disco dancing is thriving. Oh, oh it is, yeah. But, um, so I went away and I booked it last week, Neil. Um, obviously, I went away and booked it and I didn't know that her passport was out of date because she's 16 and she's a minor. As you know, they're five years passport. Yeah. So I went away and booked it. Whatever made me go and get our passport, I got our passport. And the thing was up since April. So panic mode set in. 
went online, ordered her passport, but it would not let me print off the consent form. Even though it was her fourth renewal, it wouldn't let me print off the consent form. Took all day Friday trying to get through to the passport office for them to resend me the link and I printed off the consent form. Went away, sent that away. Now, her estimated delivery date is the 4th of October, which is not going to work because she's leaving on Thursday night out of Dublin to Glasgow because the competition is Friday, Saturday and Sunday. It's a three-day event. Now, I rang them 23 times I rang them yesterday. I got through to two different people. One said that like she can't do nothing on her side and I just said to her, look, can I query an emergency one? She said, it's not a medical reason mm. and there's no debt. Do you see, that's what I was no. saying to Pamela. That it seems mm-hmm. to be, yeah, medical yeah. emergency so just, or bereavement. I, 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 I just said to her, I said, I remember being up in Cork Airport, I said about three years ago I was going to a game. I was just about to check in. I was going to Liverpool and I realised my passport was out of date and I say it was the first time now in 20 years going to Liverpool that I was on time. Ran straight into town and I got a passport, I think for 110 euros, Neil, I got a green paper passport there and then. And I actually made that flight. So I spoke to a second lady yesterday and I said, like, you know, you, you speak to someone the way you want them to speak back to you. She was lovely. She said, look, when is it? And I told her. She said, all I can do is make a note on Brooke's application, but I can't promise you anything. And I said, okay, that's fair enough. But like, do you know what's in it? Do you know what? Do you know what's getting to me? Like these children, they're after missing out the most so much, right? And for all the other sports, they were all allowed train somewhere or another in pods, fifteen or whatever. The dancers weren't allowed, and they were doing it out in pitches in the rain and in all weather. Yeah. And this is a competition that they have to leave Ireland because it's all online in Ireland, which she done last week an online competition. This is actually a real competition. That yeah, she's 16. There's five of them travelling with their dance teacher. Um, there's five of them. There's Brooke and another four yeah. and a dance teacher and, and other moms are going, but I'm not going. And that's in, that's in like something like 15, 16 days time, isn't it? Yeah. Have yeah. you been on to a TD? Because we, we got onto the passport office. I got office. on to Simon Coveney last night and I just got an automa- automated email. No, the only reason I got onto him is because of the Department of Foreign Affairs. So, because it's to do with a passport that's been forwarded. So, I am going to get on to Tommy Google there now later. Because we queried also with the passport mm-hmm. service on your mm-hmm. behalf and got the very same response that we got to Pamela. Uh, they suggest that oh, you contact God. the customer service hub. So, that doesn't sound all that... It seems like generic responses we're getting from them. Like, yeah. we are, we are 100% sure that the passport office is still closed in Cork, are we? I, I don't know, Neil. I, I, I'll actually might go in there now myself, drive in and see... Okay, let me ask the listeners there if they're if they're still okay. working from home. I believe okay. I didn't hear that they had gone back to work yet. You know, but you never know. Um, I, I think they're all working from home because um, I got through to the Department of Foreign Affairs on Friday, and she wouldn't answer my question. She gave me the Dublin passport number, the O one eight eight three three or something. So, like, I tried the passport office in Cork. And I'm getting the same response when you can't get through to the one in Dublin. So, like both of you know faster. that people, and I know even with my own within my own family, that people have lost out on holidays. They've had to cancel them or defer them, or they lost flights. I know. But you I you know. both know that it has happened. You won't, if oh, it happens to both of you, you won't be the first for it to happen to. Oh, I know that. I'm just Pamela. I'm you just, know that as well, don't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just it's just a shame, really, like that everybody is trying to get back to normal and go back to work that we just can't get our hands on. Well, a passport. it's very frustrating that you just can't it get is. our hands on something it as is. simple as a passport. And, and Neil, I tell you something. I know someone that ordered a passport last Sunday and had a Tuesday. What was that? A renewal? Yeah, just well, she's she's in her thirties. Yeah, book as a minor. She ordered it last Sunday online Sunday evening and had it uh, Tuesday. I know that's yeah, exactly. I ordered my passport as well, and it was within ten days. My own one was up, and I ordered mine. I got my. The only reason mine took a bit longer was because I had to change my maiden name to my married name. I and wish that I wish that I could actually do more. I mean, I find it frustrating. Not you as frustrating. Your name? Yeah. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. Annie, come on, come on, Annie, come on. <laughs> the lads, are, the lads are honoured. I have to say, and it's very difficult to communicate with them. You know, back and forth and back and forth. You, you it's just desperate. It's desperate. I spent Friday, Monday, and yesterday trying to get through to that. And and can I just say that one of the team here, I'm not going to go into any details. One of the team that's working on your behalf is also trying to work on a family member's passport. Yeah, to Spain um, and and is having no so we're not even for our own cases it's just the, it's not you know it it's, is, it's very frustrating especially like when when you know of people that are renewing them and getting them and people that oh, need them oh sure I know I you know, know. I, know. Not, I know it's not an emergency but I just you know like that one like Pamela wants to go away at the weekend I want my daughter to compete it's just I'm sure like do you know do you know Shirley that somebody's suggesting that you can get to Glasgow by going to Belfast uh, that you won't need a passport in Belfast is that true I don't know she's flying out of Dublin with her dance teacher all right okay okay. Glasgow Um, I wonder is there any other form of ID that could do her because she's 16 like even though she wouldn't be a student or have a CIT card is there any other form that Ryanair would accept for her don't know Doubt it. I don't either. No, no. Doubt it. Doubt it. Well, listen, it's not, it's not as if we're giving up, all right? So if I do no, have any updates, I'll be back to both of you, okay? Thank you so much. Bye, Shirley. Bye, Pamela. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Text 0868104106. And with regards to College Road, you can be sure if 300 young people were outside drinking in a council estate, there'd be plenty of guards sent round. Uh, colleges have always been a privileged right no matter what goes on. Also, surely there's a COVID situation involved here that nobody seems to be talking about. This is the parting in the College Road area. We have uh, Freshers Week and all Sophomore Week as well for the second years who didn't get to party last year, you see. Mag says, listening to the text about College Road, in all fairness, the Gardaí can only do so much. Short of Gardaí camping out there permanently, how do you deal with students who will regroup as soon as their guards leave? Arrest them all? How would that work? How many cells are in the Bridewell? Not a whole lot, I'd imagine. Making an example of a few clearly won't phase them. Therefore, the college needs to step up and follow through with threats of suspension or expulsion for persistent troublemakers, says Mags. And uh, just a thought on the ragweek subject. If a student is antisocial to the point that they should be arrested, then their prospects shouldn't deter a guard from carrying out their duty. As for, you know, as in that they shouldn't be saying, oh, we, we can't arrest them because it will affect their career. But you could say that about anybody. You, you know, it doesn't have to be just a college student. You know, why would they get special dispensation? As for a criminal conviction, that's up to a judge. An arrest and court appearance doesn't automatically result in a conviction. I know this from experience. We were all young once and acted a bit stupid now and then. What will it do? Well, what it will do is give students such a fright going through the process of arrest a night in the Bridewell cell, the stress of an upcoming court appearance to the point where they most likely will not reoffend. 
Sometimes they just need a fright to wake them up. As a selection of text to 0868-104-106. Talking about being social or antisocial or being well-behaved or being rude or aggressive. What am I talking about? People working in hospitality, and I mentioned this yesterday on the air, who are experiencing more and more cranky customers by all accounts. You know, people who are just short-tempered or rude. We heard about it for the past year and a half when it came to, say for instance, and a good example would have been, People working on the tills of supermarkets who got an awful lot of grief. But it wasn't exclusively to people working in supermarkets. Apparently, well, I know that Orla Winters, who's a hostess at Molly J's Courtyard in Tralee, uh, took to Instagram last week sharing how, uh, you know, she just wasn't impressed with how some diners were, were treating restaurant staff. And I thought I'd put in a call to her. We chat with her from time to time on the show. It's always good to catch up with her. Orla, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are they all in dear old Tralee? Well... Yeah, all good. Uh, not very good, I'd say, if the, if the sun has finally uh, gone, gone to bed for the, for the autumn. Uh, you ne- I, I know. Color. You never know, though. We might get the odd rogue day. So is it outdoor and indoor dining you guys are doing then, is it? Yes. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing both. Um, we opened Molly J's um, just after the reopening of this shutdown, uh, this lockdown. And um, so we're indoor and outdoor. We're attached to the hotel. So we've opened like a cool outdoor space and then also indoor. Right. So, and yeah, tell me so about the rude and cranky customers. I think what has happened, Neil, is that people have just, they're, they're at the end of their tether after being locked up for so long that they're coming out and it's, and look, we're delighted to have the business. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But I've just found that people are more impatient, that they are cranky, they are taking it out on, on younger members of staff. And I just think that it's, it's become unacceptable what we're going through. Like, I mean, we've had situations where people have clicked their fingers and I'm so tempted to keep a, a tin of dog food at the desk and to serve it up to someone the next time they do it. We had, um, an, we had a finger-clicking incident on in the Oliver Plunkett there about uh, three or four months ago, actually. You know, I think it was some overseas punter who was I, in the restaurant and, thought, and said that it was acceptable in his country kind of thing, you know? And you know, this is that's exactly what I was going to say next, Neil. Is that what I'm finding an awful lot of is expats returning to Ireland and acting like they did. And I'm, I'm particularly talking about Emirati countries, like the Dubai, the um, Abu Dhabi countries, where they where they think that it's acceptable to treat people like that. But I I took to my Instagram to rant about it because I really really think that it's completely and utterly unacceptable to treat anybody no matter what the job is, to treat them with disrespect. It's just a horrible thing to do is be meaning to staff. And just because they treat people in their countries like that, it certainly isn't acceptable in our little green Isle. And are they overseas or are they Irish who've returned oh, from Irish. overseas? They're Irish who've returned from overseas. Um, like why would even an Irish person pick up that habit overseas? Like you wouldn't. I think, I, like, I mean, I've been to Emirati countries in the past and I, like, I mean, the, la- the last time that I was there, I went to one of the infamous brunches and um, of course, me and my big mouth, I couldn't keep shut because I just, uh, there was a situation where these brunches are, you know, that they're an all day. Talk all about night. them. What are they? You pay X amount of money for what? You pay like, would say, 100 euro, whatever it is, and you have all your food, all your drinks and entertainment for the day. So it's basically like an, a wedding, but you're paying for it. Well, you pay to go to a wedding, yeah. you really must. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, it's like that. 
and at the end, towards the end of the night, there was a group of guys there. They was, uh, and these are professionals, like they're teachers, they're engineers, they're in the medical profession, and they, the, the hotel ran out, and they're all held in five-star locations, but they ran out of Red Bull because I suppose they didn't realise the Irish have a penchant for vodka and Red Bull as their final drink of the night. And the red and this guy from Tipperary, he absolutely annihilated. And when I say annihilated, he roared into this guy's face, and uh, an Indian worker. And the guy was distraught. So I just couldn't keep quiet. What, People what, were just okay. What and what it. did you do? I said to him, "So you're from Tipperary, yeah?" I said, "So you're home for Christmas?" And I said, "And you thought I said that it's acceptable?" I said, "Would you do that at home?" in your local pub if they ran out of something. I said, you really, really need to have a long, hard think about the way you've treated that person. I said, it's despicable, it's disgusting. I said, and your mother and father would be ashamed if they thought that that's the type of person that they raised. Good for you. This guy was in his, like, late 20s, early 30s. Now, he gave me a few expletives, but then his mates kind of said, you know, she's actually right. And I said, that's it. It takes one person to stand up and defend these people, you know, and just pass it on, you know, just... What did he do then? Did he apologise? He did, yeah, and he gave the guy a tip. <laughs> but I just said, just I said, it's not about giving him extra money because look, we all know hospitality is one of the lowest paid jobs. But I said, it's not about you know trying to make up for it in tips. I said, but just be nice, treat him with a little bit of kindness, ask him how his day is, say thank you, say please. You know, there's nothing. But surely in Dubai, as an example, that that kind of behaviour is is not tolerated, is it? I mean, you didn't tolerate it, but do they click their fingers at staff they there do, and shout yeah, at them? They and do, yeah, they, 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 and, and I spoke at length to people living over there um, and friends of mine who are living over there and, and they said, yes, it, it, it actually is, that that's, that's the way they're treated. And the staff you just know? come to expect that, do they? Exactly, exactly. And it's become their norm. Um, and they feel like second-class second citizens because they're treated like second-class citizens. But we shouldn't be going and supporting that kind of culture. There's, there's that in it too, absolutely. You know, but then you think about the amount of Irish um, who are living over there making a living and have to go, you know, due to circumstances um, with employment issues. Oh, here, no, I, you know? I, I understand that, but and I'm quite sure that the sure. vast majority of them behave when they're there. But you've yes. found that customers have been very rude to younger waiting staff. Is it that yes. the younger waiting staff just can't do their jobs properly and people get annoyed about that, that they're I not trained that, maybe. Yeah, they, yeah, like, I mean, there's certainly a level of expectation that, you know, when you go out that you're trained, that you are served by trained staff. But there are going to be situations, you know, people asking, you know, for a certain item that the young member staff may not know what it is, you know, be it a, be it a drink or be it a certain type of food um, or, you know, allergens or whatever it may be, um, you know, or, or even... Um, People asking to, um, you know, asking people to remain seated and to put on their masks, you know, you know, keeping to the, within the guidelines. But it just seems to be an acceptable, um, an acceptable part of behaviour to give out about it. Have you said and, anything to a customer? Oh, I absolutely have, and I've been told that they're, I'm going to that they are going to put it up in a, what I call tit advisor because it, it, let's be honest, I wouldn't like. I mean, it's, we actually laugh at some of the reviews at some places. You know, because you know that they're untrue and you know that there's two sides to every story. You know, but, you know, people threaten, constantly threatening, I'm going to write a review. And I always say, go right ahead. I said, but be prepared. I said that we will laugh at it. Because absolutely, if you've got a valid point, if you were treated badly, if you didn't have a good experience, you know, and we didn't try and rectify it, you know, the other side of it, I suppose... Do restaurateurs live in fear of reviews or do they just... Uh... I think, think in the past, yes, but I think now... 
that we've come to realise that it is so fake because some of the reviews that I've read both about our places and about other places, and I know they're not true, you know, that, you know. But do you respond to them then? Yeah, we used to, but now you just don't bother. You just leave it up and go, you know, this says more about you, you know. And then I, I also, I say to people, you know, if, if there's something wrong with the place, tell the management. If there's something right with the place, tell your friends, you know, because it's very easy to go away and say, you know, rectify. And, you know, I had a situation where a lady got a moth in her salad. We are out, we were outdoor dining only at the time. The moth didn't come from the kitchen. The moth was alive and it landed on her plate. Um, but, you know, then her sister posted it on something. And, oh, for God's and, sake, it's a moth flying did, around the courtyard. Yeah, like Exactly. And I did, I did say, I contacted the, the Facebook page that, that had posted and I said, look, this is outdoor dining. We can't, you know, insects we're we're going into their environment. They're not coming into our environment. You know, there there are going ah, to be but that's there pathetic, are going to be like, bees. Uh, yeah. You know. Um, and have your things. staff been upset by how they've been taken by some, some customers? Have been, some of some of the younger members of staff, you know, they who their first job, they absolutely they've been upset. You know, um, I had a young chap who is a very very intelligent young fella. He's teacher training, um, and he was called the most despicable word and it's the most non-PC word, a retard because he didn't take a drinks order from somebody he said no, he said I'm just clearing tables and clearing glasses and he said but I get someone and this lady called him a retard That's so unbelievable, I, he's a bus yeah. boy it's a different job. Yeah, exactly so I went down and I told her to get out I did, said, and never darken the door. Did you, how said, did she respond care. to that Orla? Oh she started roaring and shouting at me and I said look, I said if you think that it's acceptable I said to um, treat any member of staff like that. I said, you are sadly mistaken. It won't be accepted here. I said, I'm the manager. I said, and you're leaving. Did she? Yeah, she did. And she was worried and shouting. But the funny thing is, is that um, the young guy, he actually was like nearly crying. He said, thank you so much for standing up for me. He said, I was so afraid that I had done something wrong. Uh, the misfortune. You know, I mean, do people ever stop and think, how would they feel if their son or daughter was being called exactly, names like that? Exactly. And this, and this was not a... This was somebody who could have been that, that, that chap's mother. You know, if that was the age demographic. What a horrible so word to use. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so degrading. And Is it when the drink's in, no? Maybe? No, this lady hadn't a lot to drink. Um, obviously, she was having a bad day and decided to take it out of the member's staff. Um, God, I've noticed as though. well, you know, people who um, say things like, we don't operate a cloakroom. Um, and nobody's operating cloakrooms at the moment because of... COVID um, and she didn't want to leave her coat on her chair and kept handing it and they said sorry we can't take we can't take it and uh, she dropped it on the floor and said well I'm not picking that up <laughs> How do you <laughs> deal with these characters? Like, I I, what happened, yeah, to, the, what happened it, to the coat? Did it just stay there? It stayed there and we walked over it for the night and when when she got up and left, the other members, other dine, other members of um, of of her party were apologising for her, but uh, other customers started clapping. Get away, and really? I, yeah, and started saying cheerio, 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 singing to her. How was she uh, reacting? Was she mortified? No, she just thought it was acceptable behaviour, and this was one of the expats returning. Oh my God! Yeah, look at yeah. me. I work overseas. I'm better than you. Look with exactly. the old swagger on him, I suppose. And you know what? Neil? It's the like we've had plenty of famous faces through the doors since we opened, and they are the soundest people. They're just so nice. Um, 
you know, there's never an issue. It's the ones with, we actually have one of our cocktails called Notion. And it's kind of, it's kind of a tongue in cheek because there's no point having notions if you don't show it because there's some of them and they've got oceans of notions that they just <laughs> think that it's completely... Just, fine, just, just finally, I uh, want you to hold on a second, but can you tell a difficult customer coming through the door? Do you know someone, no, no matter what you're going to do, they're coming through that door looking for trouble or looking to criticise. Can you tell? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you can. And that they immediately, can I not sit at that table? and said, no, that's actually booked. Well, I want to sit there and, you know, you know that no matter if you put down a a Michelin star meal in front of them that they were that they're going to have but do you accept that customers should be able to say something if you put them oh, at a table that's where the you know the door to the kitchen bang it if you put them next to the cutlery section uh, you know they're going to be saying well why me yeah oh, I, 100% and I do believe that you know at all times we try and facilitate as much as possible you know people's needs and people's wants um, like you have situations where you might have to ask someone to leave if we've got a, a more wheelchair accessible table that they may have been asked but that they, we have somebody arriving in a wheelchair and we say listen um, at nine times out of ten you know people are, are very very gracious and say of course 100 percent um but it's always just that one person who can ruin a vibe and ruin a, a, the night um with their just their ill treatment of staff let me bring in Chris Crowley, the manager at the Anglers Restaurant. Uh, they're doing a rock and trade out in uh, the Anglers, um, indoors and, and outdoors, although I don't know whether they've moved indoors just yet. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How's it going? I guess you probably, I think you probably do know Orla Winters because she spent a lot of time working here in Cork as well. Do you know each other? I do. Well, okay. We haven't I do, met, yeah. but I do. I know yeah. her. Uh, how's uh, it going? Good, good. And what? Uh, I'm, having a, I'm enjoying listening to this. Yeah, and how much of it can you relate to, I wonder, say, at the Anglers? Well, well at the anglers in a sense not so much but look as, as you both know like I've been around a long time in terms of uh, hospitality so I can relate to all of it at some point in my career um, for sure all of it but have you found it anyway different now coming out of this lockdown oh, yeah. Where, yeah yeah with regards yeah, definitely. to I suppose for me I'd agree as well it's, it's again it's, it's the minority it would always be the case like, but it's, it's the impatience it's the it's the kind of the delivery of the the message when when again things can happen when think, when they're not happy with something it can be the deliverance but for me what's interesting is two people with the same issue can have two completely different reactions you in know? what way and then you have, and so again we just say like even the moth situation there you know so again like that salads and organic salads and stuff like that you can get small grubs it can happen you know it's a, it's a fresh product and, and one person can absolutely freak out which they're entitled to do and one person then could say I oh, look. It's organic product, it's natural, these things happen, don't worry about it. You know, so again, that's only one instance, but in terms of anything, poor service, late drinks, um, food being delayed because it's really, really busy. So again, some people can be, oh, look, don't worry about it, you're busy. We know what it's like, we know, and some people just, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no give or take, you know, and that can be difficult, especially for younger. But does it upset staff, staff, though, when people are rude? It upsets managers, Neil. <laughs> it upsets managers, it upsets everybody. And like Orla said, it can... Said a cat amongst the pigeons as well, you know, and you know everything is going fine, and all of a sudden, like that again, like anything, like whether it's in work or not, when somebody comes at you with an aggressive kind of tone or manner, sometimes it's a natural instinct to respond that way, or it's a natural instinct to get defensive, or it's a natural instinct to kind of coil up. And what is it? Is it that people have had this pent up anxiety, or this, you know, they wanted to get out, they were out, they have a night out, and the whole thing's a disaster, the wrong food comes, the drink doesn't come, and they just can't tack it. 
Yeah, look, again, for me, people are entitled to be upset and frustrated and disappointed and all of those things. But there's really no excuse when you come to some of the behaviour. You know, and again, like anything, if, if, if a message is delivered in a, in a positive way, then a positive response will always be the desired outcome, you know. But clearly Orla, clearly Orla would take on that, that rude, abusive customer, would you? Well, I w- it depends, yeah, I would, of course. It, look, if it's directed at me personally, uh, I try to see outside of that because look again for me I try and look at the issue of the complaint as opposed to the, the behaviour around the complaint but if it gets to a point where I won't accept it then of course you won't accept it we wouldn't accept it in life you know so why should we accept it just because we work somewhere just because we're, we're selling a product have you had to ask uh, somebody to leave yeah yeah I have and I, and I would continue to do so again like that because like we were saying, staffing at the moment is, is near on impossible, you know. So you bring, in, you bring in a team of people that are young and inexperienced. So, and then you train but maybe them. you guys are frustrating your customers by bringing in uh, inexperienced young staff. I but you're, but you're, you're charging prices that don't reflect that. Come on. Um, I, no, I would disagree. I would disagree. I, like even from my own experience, I watched the evolution now from two years ago when we opened first and after each lockdown when we come back. And I'll be honest, the first week we came back from this lockdown, because again, we brought in about 20 staff and we trained them from the ground up. And that had no experience, they just had great personalities, a good attitude, good get up and go kind of mindset in them. So we trained them from the start. And I'll be honest, the first week, I remember lying awake thinking, I'm after making a big mistake here, because like even from the very first day we opened, and we were full to the brim, you know what it's like here. And there was no forgiveness, you know. Um, but it's the second week, and it's just, again, just training, training, training. But when it comes to the customers, you can't train... 17, 18 year olds that have never been in this environment, you can train them how to react when somebody shouts at them or when somebody's rude to them or somebody makes them feel bad. Yeah, but it might be just somebody inquiring about a dish or about a drink or about a cocktail or something. They don't want somebody who's looking down at them like with two heads. Well, yeah, well, I'd like to think that doesn't happen here, but sometimes it's a question that, that they wouldn't be used to or that you can't foresee. You know, so it could be a special requirement, it could be something else. Like, so, for example, some of the other day, I don't want coriander in my curry, you know. And, so again, you have to make sure that we've trained them that there's coriander in the curry and that they're able to explain that back. Yeah. And again, like that, this is a very transient kind of industry at the moment, you know, where some people are in get work before they go back to college or start college. So to be training, training, training all the time in itself can be quite hard. But look, it's no excuse. It's a reason, but it's not an excuse. And no, actually, and even for me, I, I shouldn't be trying to make excuses for people who are rude yeah. or call people names yeah. or shout at staff members. No, no, I mean, it's no excuse. For poor service, you know. Has anybody ever whistled or clicked their fingers? Again, over the years, you'd get that. For me, thankfully, I don't seem to have that problem here. Nobody's come to me yet saying, "Oh, but like staff have come to me saying this person has been rude to me, or this person is, you know, has upset me, or whatever the case may be." And then you try you, again. For me, I'm used to it. I get paid for it. I'm dealing with it long enough. It's okay for me to go down, but I do get a little bit annoyed when it happens to the younger people, especially when I know them personally and, and I know they're trying their best you know Yeah. but this yeah. industry is very different to where it was two years ago um, very very different staffing is, is completely different why so though is it that ago. you're just not paying enough in the industry to get staff that they've got better jobs that pay more and the hours are better elsewhere well, look from what I saw here from the people leaving there was never money there was never a question of, of their reasoning for leaving and again like that any good business will always pay their people what no but um, is it, like it's minimum wage isn't it yeah, but there are a lot of jobs that are minimum wage. You know, there are. But I suppose when you when you put it all together, and look, obviously COVID didn't help because again, when people were out of work, they were getting anywhere between two and three hundred euro a week. 
you know and again, they, and they were off for six months so gave them time to plan their futures like most of us you know what do we want to do with the future we was that the case Orla that a lot of people didn't want to go back into hospitality because yeah, they had the COVID payment 100% there, there, there was that issue but I think as well with hospitality in particular if you, if you think about like 18, 19, 20 year olds you know they're at the time of their lives where they want to have fun and they've literally been locked down and that has been taken from them like it has everyone but they have never experienced it so they don't particularly want to be working on Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights when their friends are all out and their friends who are working in supermarkets or, you know, whatever jobs they may have. You know, it, it yeah. is on social hours. But I find what has happened with our younger groups is that because we're off on Mondays and Tuesdays, it's what they've done is that they've got created their own Monday and Tuesday club. Um, and they've, become, they've formed incredible friendships and incredible bonds. So now yeah. that they all... I think what they have done is certainly... Um, you know, the younger guys, they have realised what teamwork is and what real teamwork is, is that you all have each other's backs, you know. Oh, I know. And I'm not trying to make excuses for rude customers. I'm just wondering whether there's yeah. any correlation between the rude customers and um, a declining level of service. Oh, I, like, I mean, I don't think there's a declining level of service, Neil, to be honest with you. I think what has happened is, you know, we, we have to be mindful of the fact that there is still social distancing within the kitchens. So there are less chefs on. There are less people behind the bars. You know, everything is table service. There, no matter how many people, even if you were allowed to put 10 people behind the bar um, that didn't have to social distance, you know, people not being able to go to the bars themselves to get their drinks, everything is working at a slower pace. Yeah. So we need, yeah. to, keep, we need to keep that in mind. You know, you, you no longer have the quick fix of, you know, I've got a mouthful left of my pint. I'm going to the bar and getting another one. You have to wait until you're, you're waiting. There you go, you see. And people you know, need to so appreciate is, that a bit more. Is, yeah, everything yeah. has slowed down. It's not that the level of service has gotten worse. It's the pace has gotten slower because of circumstances. Hang in there, guys. Good to talk to both of you. Thank you so much, Arla Winters at Molly J's Courtyard and uh, Chris Crowley at the Anglers. Um, back after the break, text show 868-104-106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Yes, indeed. Pick up the phone on 1-850-104-106. Uh, with regards to indoor and outdoor and customers and impatience and what have you and issues like that and booking of tables because there's two different scenarios. So you got the indoor and you got the outdoor and the the indoor is for those that are vaccinated of QR codes and certs and the outdoor is for those that are or are not and that's where we're at but uh, table numbers is a different matter entirely but before I deal with that I got Mike Ryan from the corn store and also from Cockbull Michael good morning morning Neil how are yeah, you I, I know you're, you're a chef but you're front of house an awful lot of the time do you witness any um, any abuse or rudeness or impatience at the, these days at all with customers unfortunately we do yeah um, but like we have a, like I really have a zero tolerance policy for that like um, but yeah, it is. And it's actually, over the last period of time, it has gotten worse with people, yeah. Okay. And can you give me examples of how it's got worse? Is it people being asked for, is people being asked for QR codes and cert information? Uh, even before that, but I suppose, yeah, I, I suppose the bigger, one of our, one of our problems with, is that it's the messaging out there that's going out to the general public about the regulations. I suppose we watch the regulations as there's every change on them. And customers and the general public aren't aware that changes have happened or what the actual regulations are. So you people booking going, you know, we want to, uh, to uh, book 12 people in. Sure, no problem. We could do two tables of six, but it has to be outside. Why can't we go inside? We're all fully vaccinated. And why? And can they not? No. Not at the moment. Not the way the regulations stand at present. But so you can do outside multiple tables, 
but you can't do inside multiple tables. But if you're a bus tour coming in, if you're a bus tour, you can do, you can have multiple tables inside. And there isn't even clarity if, uh, because the, they, they take for granted that everyone came into the country through the, the passport system, because not everyone, they wouldn't be compatible with ours. If you're a bus tour, you can come in and have multiple tables inside. But if you're a table of uh, just regular friends meeting up, and maybe there's eight of you, you couldn't have two tables of four close by. So I think that's the frustration. It's a lack of it's a lack of clarity on on the regulations. There's not it's not just there's not just straightforward. This is what you can do. There's all these little amendments which causes confusion and frustration. And the knock on then you would have the people at the door or on the ground in 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 the establishments bearing the brunt of people's frustration because maybe they've misunderstood what it was supposed to be. It makes no sense, really, that indoors you you could. Uh you could not have two tables of six from the one party group of people who are all vaccinated indoors, but you could have them outdoors. What difference does that make? None. None whatsoever. Well, like, once you're following every other part of ventilation and everything else... Yeah, but that's your, uh, that's your gig. Like, you've done, all of, you've done all of that, but yet... Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, it just makes no sense. And I suppose, as I say, it makes people... You lose the room. You do, because that's, the, that's why a lot of people are getting very weary of the whole with the regulations with the government and stuff because it doesn't seem to make sense to them. I got somebody, I was talking to somebody who got very annoyed the other day who was out with their friends and they were all fine and blah 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 and uh, he was going into some bar I think um, or a restaurant or bar he had his QR code but they then started asking from, for another form of ID what, what, why do you need that? Because you could use someone that you could take a snap well it's because, look, the problem is, Neil, this is all lit, written into legislation. And looking for a QR code and ID is the same as if it has to be treated the same and it can be, you can have prosecution the same as if you left someone in underage into the building to have drink. It's written legislation is exactly the same penalties on your licence. So the reason, if you have a, an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old coming in and they're showing you false ID, you can question that. Because it's still the onus is on the premises to make sure that that person is 18 before they enter to have alcohol. If you have someone come in with a QR code and you think it might be false, you're supposed to double check it with a photo ID, a form of photo ID. That is why would you think it's false? Because people, well, we've lots of people have chanced their arms since this has come in. It's in our nature to try and push the grey lines. As a, as a society, you have people that are coming in and, you know, the, this is not the name, but say one of our guys were on the door one day and someone showed their phone and there was a group of four, there were couples, one showed his phone and he was Tim O'Brien. And then someone else came along with the piece of paper printed out and he was also Tim O'Brien. Now, these people are in their 60s. And so he goes, oh, there's two Tim O'Briens at the table. Um, I need to see photo ID. What? You know. Um, how did how did that end up? They were sitting outside having a meal, but they knew they were chancing around. But like that was, you know, and that was that was somebody using a photocopy of somebody else's COVID co- yeah, QR code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so basically, but what would happen to you then? Would you be fined for something like that? Well, in theory, as I said, it's in legislation. It's signed off in legislation. No different than if we left someone in underage or I broke anything else that's written in the legislation. 
That's it. It's, we're not doing it for the fun of it. You know what I mean? It's We have to follow the guidelines and the, the, the laws of the land. And if something like that is written in legislation, you're following the laws of the land or your your license is at, at risk. So that's, 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 that's what we have to do. None of us want to do it. You know, it's not. And quite shortly, you know, all going well, we won't be doing it come the 22nd, you know. So, but like that's it. But these things. So you and look, I've done it personally. I've gone into places and I've they've asked my QR code and then they've asked my ID and then gone. And I know better. I shouldn't. I say nothing, but it's in my own head going. Oh, this is just a pain. But if I'm someone that's not in the industry, I kind of I, I, I you get more irate. Do you get anyone coming up insisting on being left in because they don't have a QR code and they don't have you know I know that we use the term anti-vaxxers, but is there any issues like that? Yeah. None, none, none so much. We've had, the guys would have had a bit of abuse on, uh, when they're um, on the streets looking for, you know, looking for even um, contact tracing and stuff like that. People do ch- do kind of push it. Uh, uh, um, and, and they're pushing it to the wrong people. Like, you know, these, these are just people on the ground that are, in, you know, all they're doing is following what they're supposed to do. And is it upsetting for the staff then, particularly the younger Sorry. staff who are new to it? Yeah, well, the, we wouldn't have the younger staff on the front line dealing with that now, to be fair, someone on the door, because you need someone that's been around the block and knows how to deal with people. But, like, you do have younger staff there. And as Orla was saying, Chris was saying, like, you know what I mean? They're, they're not used to it. But, like, that some of the, the interactions they might have with people, which are becoming a small bit more in your face and a bit more in, aggressive, as opposed to before, it could be a bit passive-aggressive. Now it's just straight in your face aggressive. Are we calling somebody an R-E-T-A-R-D or clicking your fingers or whistling at somebody? Straight, straight out the door. Uh, well, calling someone a name, like you might, you would, like not everything is straight out the door, but clicking your fingers, you know, you politely go over, which has happened in the past. And um, you just say, look, that's not accepted here. Can't do it. Please don't do it again. And that's, we consider that offensive. And, and do they usually take that on board and say, sorry? Some may, yeah. Some, like, look, some people when they're told off can be made like bold children. You know what I mean? That's it. They, they, they'll do their utmost to find fault and everything. And, like, you know, you have to come over sometimes. Like, then, I generally don't intervene there if I have to. But if I will, I'll walk over and I'll just say, like, just because you didn't do, get your own way, please don't spit the ties or throw the ties into the bar- yeah, ram. Yeah. If, you're going, if you're going to find fault with everything, we're not going to continue on. So you can leave. Yeah, you, you, know? really, you really so have to get tough, yeah. yeah. But, see, that's easy for me. And it's easy for people that are supposed, that are in, would be seen as the owners of the building. When the staff are afraid that their job might, like, not that they'll file it from us, but, like, that's fine for me to say that. But you can't go over as a young member of staff and say, get out. You don't have, you don't, you know, you, anyway, we wouldn't empower someone to do that. I know. That far up down the chain. And they might feel they might get into trouble or get, Yeah, you know, and you know. like, but like, no, as I've, I've, I've whispered in people's ears before and I've said like, you know, you wouldn't speak to your own daughter or something like that, would you? You should be ashamed. And when you actually bring it like that to people, because <clears throat> lots of time might be that age demographic, you might go, because of the people that, that, that they could relate to that very easily. Normally when you say, like, you know, you should be ashamed, you know, things kind of just stop, you know, 
pretty quickly. Yeah, you know? mortified. Okay, I got to go. I'm out of time, but just ten seconds before I leave you on, because um, because I know the corn store is very near Dawn Square. You probably weren't prepared prepared for this, but how are you with Frankie and the pigeons? Are you yay or nay? To be honest, which, to be honest, which the, 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 the issue wasn't there for us until we, it was highlighted in your show. It was it, it thankfully wasn't coming. They're not saying it didn't bother other businesses, but. It wasn't, it wasn't an issue to us until okay. highlighted in your show. Not an issue for you then. Okay, thanks for that. Thank you, Mike. As always, Mike Ryan of the Corn Store and Cockbull. If you haven't checked either of those out, then you should do so. Text 0868104106. Back after 11. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show Working in hospitality This chap posted something there up on Twitter The lads showed it to me with a photograph And the the actual caption says If anyone wants to know what it's like to work in Such and such an establishment On such and such a street in Dublin Just know that after chasing my last week My last pay for weeks on end I finally got paid But I got it in a bucket of five cent coins so his last, last week's pay that he was chasing for weeks, he eventually got in a Hellman's, you know, the catering tubs of Hellman's mayonnaise full of five cent coins. <laughs> I, I don't think that that work relationship ended well, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> so he knows to like if you went into a bank now and plonked those up on the counter, if there are any counters left in banks anymore, if there's any cash left in the world anymore, would they take it off you? I'd say they'd be more inclined to say, take that away now, count it, here are the bags, bag it all properly and then bring it back. Oh my God, there's some job there, I'd say. Better off putting it into a slot machine if you could find one that took five cent coins. But anyway, then I got another lovely photograph there recently. It's a photocopy of a wedding between a Miss Power and a Mr. Bowen. Bowman, I should say. It was the Shannon Arms Hotel in Limerick. And it was one of those breakfast weddings. You know, back in the day, they had it at breakfast time. Not 100% sure what was served at the breakfast wedding back then. I don't think you got the full... I don't think it was a fry, for instance. But it was 51 breakfasts. Uh, for £57, 7 shillings and sixpence. And then there was three bottles of white wine, two bottles of red wine. One, They drank a lot of whiskey back in the day. So one and a half bottles of whiskey, one and a half bottles of sherry. I suppose the men, I don't mean to be sexist, but it probably was that way back then, that the man, men drank the whiskey and the women drank the sherry. And then five bottles of squash, which would be like my wadi, I suppose, if you like, and a dozen miser- minerals. The entire wedding breakfast cost £70, 18 shillings and sixpence. I love those kind of photocopies and thank you for it. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back to the phone lines we go. Busy morning. Sarah standing by. First up, Lisa, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are, you? are you in hospitality, Lisa? Yeah, I okay, am. Okay, and good. Okay, so share your experiences then. It's just um, like when you were on about their QR codes and stuff, like there has been one or two incidents where someone would come in with a QR code and you'd scan it or whatever and then we have a contact tracing sheet as well where you write down your your name and your telephone number and once or twice like people would have put down a different name to what was on the QR code I know yeah what so do you do like then obviously friends are, are you know passing theirs around to them or whatever and like then they'd be on Facebook you know because you'd know some of the regulars or whatever and there'd be one or two and like you can see that they're total anti-vaxxers on their social media but then they come in and like they'd always try to go to staff that wouldn't really know them, you know, and show. Oh, anti-vaxxers to. get other people's yeah. QR codes or photocopies of them, yeah, because they won't take the vaccine, 
And then yeah, try and get and in, is it? it? Yeah, yeah. So then obviously when you, you cop on or you realise it, you have to tell them that they have to take a seat outside. But, you know, if they, they, they do try chance their arm. So, like, I mean, there is a lot of that going on. And then there is, like, people are so rude. Now, not everybody, obviously, but a good majority of people are, like, are very rude with this whole COVID thing. Like, you know, you're not allowed to stand at the bar and order your own drinks. And they could blatantly ignore that. Like, you'd have a big sign up saying, you know, please be seated. And wait a second, how do you know it's blatant? They just might forget. I sure look, Neil, there's big signs up on the bar counter. And you might have told these people numerous times before. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, take a seat. We'll get someone down here or we will take your own. But why would they keep doing that, knowing that no one's going to serve them at the bar? It's kind of a pointless exercise. Are they making a statement? It's like they just don't really care. Like, you know, they just, oh, right, right, yeah, right, calm down. Or, do you know what I mean? You're like going, it's not me. I didn't make it up. You know, that, that's, that's patronizing telling that's somebody true. to calm down, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and like I had one incident where there was a couple came in and they owned their own bar restaurant. And like that, they came up to the counter and I said, sorry, you can't stand at the counter. She said, I'm filling in my contact tracing. And I said, I know, but you can't do it at the counter. Like, it's on the table over there. That's why we left it over there. And she's like, oh, my God, calm down. Like, relax. I was like, you should know better. You just have to try and keep the peace, don't you? Yeah, basically. But, it, it, like, it can really weigh you down, you know? And especially, like, I mean, obviously, I, I'm, I'm older, so I'm kind of a bit more used to it. But, like, I can understand younger staff. Like, not very nice. I mean... Jeez, there's no need for it or saying like you know oh we're waiting ages for drinks it's ridiculous like you're a pack of fools in there or whatever you know you're kind of going like you for real but were they waiting ages in defence of the but, customer here now but the thing is as, as someone else just said to you there a while ago there's only a certain amount of people allowed behind the bar to we say get the drinks ready then you have the staff on the floor that serves it out so like you can only go at one speed you know what I mean they're taking up as many orders Orla was saying out. that that kitchen staff were down there's distancing in kitchens there's distancing behind the counters and when people yeah. aren't yeah so, so you have to do you have to constantly remind people of that then oh 100 yeah 100% now there's again like as that man said there a while ago there is some lovely people then coming in saying oh there's no problem we can see you're under pressure and there's no problem waiting but then there's that handful of people that like just like I want it and I want it now and like and another thing as well like I mean people are got so bad as well like the staff on the floor are doing a fantastic job and they're like they're running around to each table and they're so mean with tips I mean like they'd be lucky to come out with five ten euros a night in total yeah I mean which I think is terrible like I mean like the work they do and the abuse, as I said, they put up with... with what kind of tips would be given for, say, a, a couple who have a meal and a couple of drinks, for instance? You mightn't get any at all. None? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Is that the exception now? I, I would have thought that everybody kind of tips something now, no? No, no. Um, if the, the, the lockdown before this, when we opened up again, I thought, yeah, everyone was really nice and that always, like, most people would leave a tip... This time around, nothing. You've seen a distinct change then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, you you could, you could know when somebody leaves a tip now because it's so unusual, do you know what I mean? Why is like, that? Is it a case that people 
don't have it? I just think people are just kind of getting a little bit more meaner. I really do. And I mean, even like if you notice, even in in supermarkets, when you're even walking around in supermarkets, like, you know, before you'd kind of, you know, say hi to someone, right? people I think are using the masks as like nearly a cover-up so they nearly put their head down and pretend they don't see you. It's, I think people are actually definitely after getting more miserable, really, like. More miserable if they're not tipping, yeah. I mean, there are yeah. those that sometimes won't tip because the food was bad or the service was That's poor. totally understandable. Would you expect somebody to tell you that? Like, I'm not tipping because X, Y, and Z kind of thing. A hundred percent. But as I said, I've seen staff members like literally going over and above and going out of their way. And sometimes the people would even say, oh, thanks very much. We had a lovely time, but still wouldn't leave five euros. You know what I mean? Is that forgetfulness? Uh, No, uh, come on, Neil, they all can't be, you know. This forgetfulness. I just think they're just because they think Asher's Ireland, you don't have to do it, but then if they're in any other country. Oh, oh, there's no onus. I mean, if you did it in a New York restaurant, they'd chase you out the door for it. Like, But here, there is no obligation as such to tip. Yeah, I know chasing someone out the door then as well, that's a bit too much as well. Do you know what I mean? But like, you should at least, even if it's a fiver, you know, just, just to show your appreciation. Like, you know, like. Most hospitality staff have been out of work as well, like for for ages, do you know what I mean? And they're trying to get back, you know, making a bit of money as well and stuff. So the least you could do is just give them a little, you know, here's a fiver, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So, well, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose what we need people to to bear in mind is that there are different scenarios now. The staffing levels are different, distancing is yeah. in, things are slower for a reason kind of thing, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. and. Yeah. We're all trying to do our best and it's just like, don't shout at someone. Don't make someone cry. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're, you know, they're doing a job. Have you had like, staff members crying? Yeah, yeah. Because of something yeah. they were said, some abuse? Yeah, over people being so rude to them and like, you know, basically, as I said, like saying, oh my God, you're like, you're, you're a pack of fools in there. Like you can't even, do you know, this type of. It's, uh, firstly, uh, among other things, it's very embarrassing for somebody to be talked down to like that. Of course it is, yeah. And and like I mean they're young and there's like and not even the young people, as I said. I mean, Jesus, there's 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 one or two staff members and they're absolutely they're brilliant. Like, I mean, they're really good at what they do and they're so lovely and polite and pleasant. And then people seem to think that it's okay to be upset to them because they wouldn't kind of answer back. Like they choose who they who they give out to, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So and I, 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 myself. You yeah, you have had people say things to you. Oh yeah, definitely, you know, thinking, oh, you're on a power trip and because I'm asking them to, you know, sit down at their seat or whatever, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, right, yeah, I'm on a power trip. <laughs> oh, this is what the government, have you not been watching the news? And like, <laughs> you're probably blue in the face saying those kind of things over and over exactly. again. So and those that are problematic then, the ones that are problematic, let's call them problematic, uh, are yeah. they men and women? Yeah, yeah, mixture of both. Okay, okay. Young and old as well. Okay, okay. All right, appreciate you taking the call, Lisa. You're at the cold front. Good luck with it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Text 0868-104-106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prinderville now. 1851-04-106. Red FM. Come back to all of those texts and different topics like that in a few minutes' time. I just want to talk to Sarah because she's been waiting a long, long time. I want to see if we can help her and her family out. Sarah, good morning. 
Hi Neil, how are you? I'm great. Now tell us all of the story. Leave nothing out. I know your sister's <laughs> getting married tomorrow and Granny's in hospital. Yeah, so she went in for tests and basically she ended up having to stay in while she's waiting for a date for an operation. So she won't be able to make the wedding. But we were hoping that maybe if we sent an iPad in, someone would be able to set up the link so she could, well, the link will be there from the church. But if they could open it up and basically just do everything until and press play so she could watch it because she's not great with technology. So she wouldn't be able to do it herself and she's going to miss the day otherwise. Ah, for God's sake, we can't have that happen. Yeah. When's the when's the, the wedding? Where is it tomorrow? Where are you where are you getting in, Yeah, it's in Blarney tomorrow at half to twelve. So we like it's pretty last minute. So I would really appreciate if someone would be able to help us out so that we could get this across the line. So her. what do you need yeah. now as such? Do you have the iPad? Do you have the technology? Yeah, we have the iPad, so we could drop the iPad in. Um, I'm not sure if there's Wi Fi in the hospital or if someone could connect it to a hotspot or if I could find something that I'd send in that the Wi-Fi would be on, I would do that too. Um, so and it's great sure that I'd you can. So you, I know, I know that you can live stream and watch funeral masses and what have you. And but yeah. God, it's the same with weddings, yeah, because there's limited numbers. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. It? Sure, there's loads of people abroad and everything that couldn't come over for all different reasons. So it's great that people can still watch even if they're not able to come with the number restrictions. So that's what the plus is. So that. Although she is in hospital, which isn't great, at least she can still watch it. But I know. Getting her to watch I know, it. I know. Is. And she's in cardio, isn't she? She's in cardio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that should be. Have you got on to the hospital to see if they can facilitate? I think my aunt kind of like inquired and stuff, but you know they're so busy, so it's hard to kind of to know for a definite answer whether it would actually work. You know, whether someone could actually do it. So that's why I said I'd, I'd call Well, her due to COVID restrictions, as you were saying, in her ward, she, she can't have any visitors. Yeah, Yeah. so we couldn't even go in like tomorrow morning. So we need to find, we need to find a, a nurse yeah. or a yeah, medic or a porter or somebody in, in, in the cleaning department or something. That, that yeah, anyone can, that would be kind enough to help, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Staff, staff can go in and out of the cardio ward on the third floor. Yeah, yeah but no, no... Um, no relatives or friends or anything, which, is, you know, is understandable, obviously, with everything going on and it being the cardio award. So we know. have until tomorrow to find that person, to give them the, the, the iPad uh, and yeah, for them to, no, to, no be, to be on standby. <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be on standby for what, an 11 o'clock funeral, uh, wedding mass? Um, a half 12 wedding mass is what it is. Um, yeah, maybe 20 to 1. The bride could be 10 minutes late. Oh, for no, God's we'll sake, everybody. <laughs> brides have to be late. You, mar- you married yourself? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm the younger sister, so I'm the maid of honour. Why do women, why do brides come around, come late? I think it's like, um, is it like a ritual thing? It's, <laughs> it's a, a tradition. Yeah. <laughs> is it to keep them on their toes? I'm not too sure. <laughs> I know somebody not too far from me right now who arrived, I have to say, 35, 40 minutes late. I uh, know, that's very... I think the 30 or 40 minute wait, I think there was a wedding dress emergency, if I remember correctly. I think oh, that well, was look, that's fair enough. <laughs> I, think that, you do? <laughs> I think there had to be a last minute adjustment or I think the heel got caught in the hem or something, you know, that kind of oh, thing. Oh, well, look, that's fair <laughs> enough. You'd allow that. Just sitting down, maybe having a glass of Prosecco being 40 minutes oh, late yeah, wouldn't so, be the best. The rest of us, the rest of us waiting, to, cooling our heels and proper order too. Okay, so we have until okay. tomorrow morning to find somebody within the CUH that will turn it on yeah. set it up prop it up in your in your granny's lap and so that she can watch the wedding tomorrow morning yeah that would be amazing if we could find someone I'd really appreciate it 
Okay. And what's your granny's name? Can I ask that? Um, Frances. I'm like, she's actually probably of a heart attack now if she knew how to say her name on the radio. Well, hi to Frances. Frances Kearney. Frances Kearney. Right. And your sister getting married, what's her name? Laura O'Connell. Okay, well, I suppose she's delighted to be getting married. There might have been a couple of delays along the way, was there? Yeah, she was meant to get married last September, so right. it's happening this year around, okay. Uh, thank God. Okay, well, firstly, let's see who might be listening right now to this conversation within the CUH that can make that happen, and then we'll do a bit of work on it at midday, and hopefully we'll have good news. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if somebody wasn't able to happen, wasn't able to help in a situation like that. That's you know? fantastic. Thank All you right. so much, Nate. Okay, Sarah. Take care for now. Thank you. And Cheers. thanks to everyone. Thank you. We'll be back to you. Cheers. Take care. Thanks. Zara phoned in. She says, uh, can't come on air, but she said about three weeks ago, she was in a restaurant with her son and a little girl. The little girl was about seven. She had a lunchbox filled with corn and she was throwing the little corn pellets at tables and at chairs. The staff, the manager, all asked her to stop repeatedly and she wouldn't. She appeared to be all on her own. So they had to call the guardie. Her dad then reappeared, was mortified, apologised and took her away, throwing corn at fellow customers. Morning, Linda. Yes, I do remember you, Linda O'Flaherty. We worked together some years back. Morning to you. She says, I hope you're well. I am. You were talking about Frankie. Will you mention that my uncle Frankie has a sister, Anne Cook, who's a legend up in the Piercing for many, many years and also has another brother, Bobby, who is my dad. It was him who rang and forgot to mention them when he was on the air. His brothers, Tony and Frank, have both passed away. Uh, much love, kind regards, Linda O'Flaherty, who I worked with some years back. And good to hear from you. Yes, we're, of course, talking about Frankie, the Birdman of Dawn Square. But not everybody's in favour of the Birdman. I think it's about time the Birdman has been told to move on. Pigeons, let me remind you, are flying vermin. I was in town last a few weeks ago with my son, and he asked for a McDon- and he asked for a McDonald's. We obviously had to sit outside, but all the area around the seating area of McDonald's was full of feathers and bird poo. It was absolutely disgusting. I don't feel one bit sorry for him. It's unhygienic. Find a field somewhere and feed the birds from there, uh, says Rachel. So not everybody in favor. I suppose some would equate it to maybe feeding rats. Do you know what I mean? If they call them flying vermin, I just think they're beautiful. I just think that looking at the pigeons, they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, and then Miles Gaffney, the singer-songwriter on Side, said, How you, Neil? Met Frank regularly. As a songwriter, I document people like Frank. I saw him on Wednesday evening heading down Shandon Street and I actually wrote down his name to write a song about him. I'm going to call around to his house to see will he part with his knowledge for the lyrics of the song. I hope you read out this email and that Frank can hear my request. Cork City and the people of Ireland need people like Frank in our communities as our character and culture is slowly slowly being torn away from us. Let's hope Frank takes me up on the offer, says Miles Gaffney. I hope he does and when you've got it written, please do come in here and perform it, your song on Frankie, the Birdman of Dawn Square. So thank you for that. Keep those texts and emails coming and I'll get back to them in a few minutes' time. Uh, Vesna, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for getting in touch. In fact, you've decided to bite the bullet, take the bull by the horns and get in touch with me because it must have been something you thought about. Yeah? So, you know, finally. uh, Finally, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we are... My my problem is a house problem. Um, we are in this house renting more than five years, but landlord decided to sell. So the last four and a half months, we are in the search for a new house, and it's quite impossible to do it. Like, we can't even get a viewing. In four and a half months, I had one or two viewings. Is I'm it just sure. yourself and your son? 
It's me and my son, yeah. So the, the house you're in at the moment, is, is it, it's a small, tidy little house, is it? Yeah, it's like two-bedroom house, nice living room and everything. It's perfect you know, it's, for you, yeah. It's yeah. perfect for you, yeah. But yeah. looks like your landlord has a right to sell like that, he's right. We have nothing to do with it. We just need a new house and it's impossible to find it. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in this problem. And tell me this, uh, could I ask you, what's the rent? My rent? Yeah. Uh, 1200 at the moment. 1200 in total? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I nearly said that's not too bad and it really isn't too bad by comparison to some of the rents that I've seen. Yeah, but we rented this house more than five years ago, so, you know. If you were, if it were to be rented now, do you think it would be a lot more than 1200 Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. We even decided, like I have a friend who also has to move. So since I can't find anything in my budget, we decided to do it together. So our budget would be higher and it's still impossible to even get a viewing. So you applied for in excess, I suppose, of 100 houses on Daft or viewed them anyway. Even more. Yeah. Just like, you know, you apply and you get your viewing and that's it. Like, Do you get to see and visit the uh, homes? No, no. why, Why not? I don't know, like they ask you, you know, like uh, questions, you have pets, with, where are you working? And I'm full-time carrier for my son, so at the moment I'm not working. But like we have references, we've been in, house, in this house almost six years, you know, they can call my landlord, they can come and check. We also have therapy dog, it might be an issue. You have a therapy really dog cool. because your, your son is on the autistic spectrum? Yeah, correct. Okay, so a therapy dog... Any kind of dog you think is an X against you, is it? Yeah, correct. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know, is it a dog? Is it that I'm not working? Is it that, like, I, I don't know. Probably all together, you know. Do many of those that are being advertised for rent say no dogs? Uh, well, the, the advertising ones that say no dogs, I don't even apply on them. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what? What's your budget now? If you're you're teaming up with a buddy, is it? Yeah, with a friend who also has to move. So we decided our budget would be two thousand, and the last six seven weeks we've been looking for the house in that budget. Also impossible. Okay. And do you get any assistance with that rent? I do. I Good. do. Okay. Okay. So yeah. when you pool the two together, God Almighty, you think you'd be able to choose? A whole selection house. of houses exactly. for two grand a month, exactly. wouldn't you? Exactly. And we also, uh, we, we are fine with the uh, not furnished house, which actually suits us. Uh, people would say, like, it's even easier to get those houses, but no, nothing. Okay, you think if you were going for a grand or 1,200 a month that there might be fierce demand, but when you move up to two grand, you think that the demand would start to whittle down a bit? Correct, yeah, it's but not like it's really impossible. No, it's not happening. In the last six, seven weeks, we didn't get any viewing in that price range. And when do you have to vacate? I still have uh, six weeks, something like that, yeah, rock. So you're worried, obviously. Well, exactly, like I never had any issues with my landlord. He didn't have any issues with me, and I would like, you know, just to respect the contract, like it said, you know. I don't want to go the road like when where he wants me out and I I, I can't get out. Have you checked that five month five years tenancy is three months is three months notice? No, our landlord gave us six months notice. Six, okay, okay. Six, yeah. 
All right, just oh, said yeah, here in front of me in your letter that it was over three months ago my landmark gave me notice. Oh, yeah, okay, I see. So the clock is still ticking. It's six months in total. And are you in yeah. the city, the suburbs? Are you in a country area? No, where? we are in the north side, Cornabrahan. So, but we are looking everywhere. As long as bus route or train route is fine, we are fine. Like, we are not looking specific place where to move. And the 100 houses that you've applied, did you get to see any of them at all? Two. Two. Only two. Only two, yeah. And how did those viewings go, those two? Well, the uh, first one we didn't get. second one was in terrible condition. Like, So we just said, like, no, it's not for us. It was wrecked, was it? Yeah. And for that price, like, it was, I, I think, 1500 something like that. I said, no, we're not taking that for that money. So. But you believe that somebody probably did? Somebody probably did, but on the end, like, we're still paying that rent each month, you know. Why would I move somewhere where it's mold and, you know, it's not nice and the floors are not straight and, you know, things like that. For oh, that no, my, price, po- my know, point is somebody who is desperate enough will take it, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And the, let- the letting, do you not, okay, that's daft. What about letting agencies? Do you call them, have conversations with them? Right. Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. We mail, we call, we are searching that. Every morning, that's the first thing we do. You know, check, are there any new properties, new houses? I wonder are a lot of those properties on Daft already gone? I can't answer that because I don't know. I just know, like, the new houses are coming up. I can't say there are not no houses, but, like, I can't get even a viewing. And after more than 100 mails, you know, checking, calling, asking... No one wants to even, you know, arrange the viewing or anything. You say furnished or unfurnished. You say I'm getting panicked, depressed and stressed with this termination date looming at the end of my tether with nowhere to turn. Like my son is starting college at this stage, you know, and it's already stressed for him. And then the moving. How old is he? He must be about 18 then, is he? He's 18, yeah. Is he aware of what's the, the, the predicament you find yourself in? Yeah, of course, we talk about it. He knows he has to move, but he's just, you know, nothing he can do about it. Like, Can I ask you, if you were back in Croatia, what would the rental market be like there? Oh, I can't answer you that. Surely you must have an idea of the rents back home, no? I don't know, maybe 500 euros. Okay, so a quarter. Yeah, but the paychecks and salaries are much less, like 500 euros is a monthly paycheck in Croatia. Is it? And can people survive on that 500? Well, they say Croatians are magic ones, so obviously they can. You just have to make it stretch. For For many people, the 500 here might be a week. In Croatia, it's a month. Yeah, yeah, but like you have to consider percentage, like, you know, if they have monthly paycheck 500 euros, you know. It's much worse. It is. It's a month's rent. It's a month's salary. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. So you, you never contemplated going back, no? No, no, no. This is our home. We are here almost seven years. Yeah. And yeah. my okay. son is starting college. Okay. So, okay. So. Okay. Well, you, you have reached out. You said you normally are a very private person, but you got to, sometimes we need to come out of our comfort zones and ask for help. Isn't it true? And that's what you've done. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm just wondering who who is renting all these houses, you know, the last two years we are in COVID, it's not so many people, new people are coming in the country, you know. Oh no, there's a lot more demand now and one of the reasons why is of course that more people have come back to their home county or come back to their home city 
to work remotely. You know, the WFH working from home um, and they, uh, they're looking to rent sometimes families, sometimes individuals, sometimes couples. Sometimes you, you, a lot of them now are three or four buddies who want to get a house together, you know? I know. This has not helped oh. the, your predicament in any way, shape or form. But you wouldn't, like, who knows who might be listening? All I can do is, is uh, you know, chat with you and, he, and hear your story. And perhaps somebody will be listening that might have a property yeah. that might suit your need. Isn't it's that the case? Like- yeah, we are not looking for anything, just a house to rent, to pay, like, no charity, nothing, you know, just a home. Like, we have references, we have deposits, we have rent, first rent money, we, we have everything, we just don't have a house. No, I don't like to refuse to, you know, I don't I don't like to not put people on the air like you, because you're, you're, you're worried and you're stressed and, you know... I would all I would always do that. I can't guarantee you any success, but I would always do it nonetheless. And are you not on a housing list? Would you not be entitled to be on the housing list? I am on the housing list, but they told me like, oh, you're only three, four years. People are waiting ten. So yeah, I know. I know you've done as much as you can. In fairness to you, you certainly have. Okay, well, let's let's uh, let's see who may be listening. Um, I, I have a couple of contacts as well that I, I might just give your number to them a little later on and. They might be able to get in touch and see. More more than that, I can't promise you, Vesna, all right? Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Anybody out there can help that lovely lady and her young son, text 0868104106. A hundred houses on daft, she applied to. Got two viewings. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Uh, text 0868104106. Uh, get as many calls on the air as I can. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Oh, you, were you travelling? Um, yeah, we travelled to Spain on the 28th of August and, came, and flew back to Dublin on the 5th of August. And all your paperwork was in order. And how was Spain for you? Were you asked for QR codes everywhere you went and stuff like that? No, no. When when we got into Dublin Airport, we were panicking to make sure we had everything, that our phones were turned on, that we had we printed off our QR codes, the three QR codes. We got them um, laminated, the whole lot, how they wouldn't be wrinkled, how we can get across, we wouldn't be stopped. We got into Dublin Airport, we just had to show our passports, got onto the plane, showed our boarding ticket, and then we were off. We got as far as Spain. When we got into Spain, they checked the three QR codes, Oh, sorry, they took QR codes and our passport and they took our temperature and left us go through. That was grand. We got to Spain. It's so relaxed over there, Neil, because there's nobody. Um, the restrictions are so, so, so small over there that you feel like that you're back to normality again. Is it like, but, but is it not all outdoors though? Can you go into pubs? No, no, no. It's indoors. So you can sit indoors. Um, you can sit in restaurants. You can go into shops. You know, you have to wear the masks in some shops, but look, that's, that's the same as here, really. But if there's nobody. Look, we were on a train going down to Malaga and the train was just absolutely jammers. I even took pictures of it. It's crazy. Like. And nobody is... nobody. They're just getting on with their lives, not like Ireland there, you know? But anyway, we were coming back on the 5th. We got checked. The same as going into Spain, coming out of Spain. The whole lot. So I said to my wife, I said... It must be vice versa. When we get back to Ireland, they're going to check us all. They'll be interested in checking all your information when you come back into the country. They don't really care too much about you leaving the jurisdiction. Yeah, so I said it's going to be vice versa when we're going back. It's going to be in Dublin. It's not going to be in Spain. But when we were leaving Spain, they checked all the stuff again. We got into Ireland, went through security. They didn't even take our passport, just showed a picture of it and waved us on. And that was it. 
Nothing. But Neil, like nothing at all. Doctor Hoolan. Doctor Hoolan was on the news. Or on the news last night. Do you not? Have, do you not fill in a locator form to where you're going to be? No. Give your mobile. Nope. No, but you do that online, didn't you? Do all oh, that? We did it online. Yeah, we did it online, and it was a farce because they wouldn't give us Ireland, so we we just put down Spain, but we didn't have to show it going in. Like they're, 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 when you're filling out the form and, and they they give you all the different countries, they weren't showing Ireland that we were flying back into Ireland, so we just put down Spain, saying we were leaving Spain. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know about that, pal. I, I mean, I've no, seen no, that. Seriously, I've it's seen the email, yeah. But anyway, look, that was it. We got back into Ireland. Nobody asked for anything. Only to show us our passports going through like a normal flight three years ago. That's very kind of hit. That's very hit or miss, isn't it? Yeah, and look, if you think of it, and when we came back after having a lovely week over there and nobody bothering us about COVID and all this. When we came back two days after, we were walking down the down the, the river and a man was coming up against us and he turned his back against us. Like, that's what Ireland is all about. What do you mean by that now, that he turned his back against you? He turned, he turned away and faced away from us how he wouldn't catch COVID off us. And the former's fortune is probably afraid, you know. Some people are really living in fear, you know. I don't think. Yeah, well, yeah, I understand that. But we like we're all we're all vaccinated, me. And then there's one more point I have to make to you. When we go into a restaurant in Ireland, we have to sit down and take off a mask. And the people that serving us have to wear masks. Yeah. In the doll, when they're sitting down, they're wearing their masks. But when they're up shouting at each other, they take the mask off. Yeah, but they're distanced. Have you seen them distanced? No, they're not distant. If you look at them, they're not. And I, I can't wait to see tonight and see what they're doing. But they're not. They're not supposed to take your mask off when you're standing up because the stuff that comes out of your mouth will go two metres. I get what you're saying in that regard. You do realise, and I referenced earlier on Matt Cooper, who's double jabbed. He's got a column in the uh, Sunday in the, the Irish Daily Mail this morning. He is double jabbed and is was very, very sick in the, for the last week with, with covid um, yeah, he, he, friend, said, he said he said he would walk five feet he said and it was this is double jab now he said he would walk yeah. five feet and it was like his breathing was as bad as if he'd run a hundred meter sprint yeah but isn't that we have, weird like, like what, what is it yeah I know it is my friend my friend got it and he was double jabbed but he only had pins in his head the same as a flu or, 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 a, or, a, or a cold that we get every year but we have to get on with our lives now the same way it's been oh I know I know we do but like for in, like say for instance um like I I've, I get a, I might get a runny nose from time to time here's yeah, my here's so my predicament now isolate for 14 days yeah but if, if that's the way Ireland is going and Dr. Hoolan said last night there's going to be more restrictions frightening the living daylight out of people no, but see I don't I don't really I, I, the only thing that would concern me about that is I don't want to be going around unchecked even though I'm double jabbed because you can still pass it on to people and you, you could give it to an elderly person who is also double jabbed and it could kill him I know I know what Neil we have to get on with our lives we can't keep going on the way we're going on if you look at Spain they're getting on with their lives they're just living, living a normal life so you don't think if somebody who's double jabbed gets COVID should have to go into 14 day quarantine or isolation no? well no the government are saying if you're double jabbed and a double jabbed person, two people are double jabbed. They can sit in the same room without masks. No, I'm talking about somebody who has been double jabbed, got sick, got tested, found that they had COVID. What do you think should happen with them? Just leave and get on with their lives. Out in the community? 
the same way as you have a flu and you go for a pint that okay. night. No, I'm only, a, I'm only asking you. Well done. You clarified like, your thoughts. Tell, you're, not going to, well, you're going to say to your friends, oh, geez, I have the flu, lad. Um, I can't drink with you tonight. Or I can't have a meal with you tonight. You're going to go out and try your best and say, right, well, I'm going to get rid of this flu. But you don't think you're going to pass it on. And then the next day, your, your friends have the flu. And Jesus, you gave me the flu yesterday, last night. You shouldn't have come out. But, 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 that's, but that's, that's a reasonable thing to say by, from somebody. Like, that if I was going out with mates and one of them had the flu, I would probably prefer to know that because I don't want to be three or four days wrecked with flu. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that should be happening. People should be saying, I have the flu. I have the COVID. <laughs> the same thing, Neil. <laughs> because we're all jabbed now, there's not man, there's no nobody dying now. I see the, the, the deaths up in Northern Ireland, but there's nobody dying in Ireland from us. We are we're all protected, and now they're saying there's going to be more restrictions. When did we last get a death figure, incidentally? Do you know? It's a long time, Neil. It's been a long time now. Sometimes I'm after giving up and looking at the news because it's just it's just holding us back for some reason. I don't know why. And at the 14th of September, the last date mentioned, which was yesterday, 1,181 cases, 43 weekly deaths. You, you're saying you're saying that's quite low, is it? It is low, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that is inconsequential. So, so if if they're saying there was a scientist on the news and he was saying um, this is going to be around forever, so what do we do? Do we? Do we, we have only one chance of life in this earth. Do we live our lives the way they want us to live them, or do we get on with our own lives and be a freedom, be free in this world? It so looks like it look it looks like we're going to have to live with it, isn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah well, we have to live. With no, but I, I'm just I'm just saying to you, I, like I, I'm surprised at the number of people now who are double jabbed and getting very sick, and the worry you I would have with that is that they would pass it on to vulnerable people who are already sick, uh, and it could kill them. You know? Yeah, I know. Anyway, Colette, good morning. Hi, Neil. Um, something similar with you flying back and forth, is it? Yeah, um, myself and my husband, we flew out to Alicante last Thursday and in, Dub- in Cork Airport. We flew out of all we had to do was show the boarding pass and the, the passport. Uh, when we got there, we were checked for everything in Alicante Airport. Really checked for proof of both vaccines, everything, and came back on Monday, landed in Ken- in Kerry Airport, and we were like a herd of cattle in Kerry Airport, all up the top of each other's backs, all we had to do was show the passports and right out the door. Nothing else. Uh, no I wonder, passenger uh, uh, locator form, nothing at all. So nobody took, but did you, you did it online on your phone or something, did you, and you submitted I had it. I had it in actually printed off as well as on my phone. So, did you get a text and today from the HSC? I did. I got a text the next day to say that if you have any symptoms yeah. while you're in Ireland, you okay. know, uh, please go to. They gave us a number to ring. Okay. Okay. So you know, yeah, but yeah. I was shocked. They didn't even ask. There were two guards in the airport, and you know how small Kerry Airport is. We were up on top of each other's backs and it was just in as fast as we could and out the door. That's the way it was pushed. And you were expecting I, somebody to check your QR cord and oh, your... Oh, you know. I was expecting the same as what I got when I landed in Alicante. Yes, that's fine for you to come back, but let's say that was somebody coming in from overseas there in here. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You okay. know? Did you have a good holiday, so, incidentally? Did you enjoy it? Oh, I did. I had a fantastic time. The weather was brilliant. 
just going mad that I didn't stay longer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. Thanks, Colette. Cheers. Take care. All, All the best. Right, bye. 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 Text bye, 0868104106. I've been asking questions as to what part of your old life do you not want back after COVID or what changes you'll be making to your life going forward. Here's a lovely one from Breed. The other morning I heard you talking about what COVID has taught people. What it has taught me is how I miss the human touch and the companionship of a relationship. I'm a 54-year-old woman, widowed at 30, and I've spent the last few years getting lost, rearing my four children, who are all adults now. Two are working abroad. The last two years, it has been impossible to meet anyone. So that's my COVID learning, um, how I miss the human touch and companionship in a relationship. I hope you get that human touch, Breed, and I hope that that relationship is just around the corner waiting for you. Uh, and I'm quite sure that you agree with that. Um, I mean, it must have been very difficult for a lot of people over the last year and a half or so. Um, you know, okay, we have all had restrictions with regards to meeting friends and human touch and who doesn't miss a hug or a handshake or, or what have you. I mean, there's only so many fist bumps you can do. Uh, but for somebody who's looking for love, it must have been very, very hard over the past year or so. It must have. Back after the break, text 0868104106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Annette, good morning. Hi, Neil. Okay, so here's yet another one with regards to checks in and out of airports. You were Amsterdam, was it? Yeah, we were coming back from Amsterdam. I was just picking up on what the last caller was saying there about going into a small airport like Kerry Airport. And we flew back into Dublin Airport. And now when we were leaving, we were asked for our vaccines on the way out. Uh, coming into Amsterdam Airport, we weren't asked for nothing, no forms, no vaccines, nothing. But on the way back into Dublin Airport, all we had to show was our passport. No vaccines, no locator forms, no mention of locator forms. Because I know a lot of people are stressing about locator forms, but we weren't asked for anything coming back in, which I was really shocked about. I was only saying it to my mum yesterday. So, that you, may, no so you, could, you could easily have not just bothered filling it in? Or even had a vaccine. To be quite honest, there was no question of of whether you were vaccinated or not. There was no no asking whether you had your vaccine or locator form. I had I happened to have had no uh, locator form filled out online because I had been told that Aer Lingus do give them out, but we, they weren't given out, and we weren't even asked for this. You know, does, does, does anybody ask? Such- does anybody ask security or airport guards or whatever? You, do you not want my information? No. I asked on the way over, I asked if we needed a locator form and she said not for leaving the country for, but for coming back into Ireland. Uh, we had the forms for entering into Amsterdam but like that, no, we weren't even asked for anything over in Amsterdam Airport either. But coming back, I presume then that they were going to hand out the locator forms because the girl mm. previously had told me that, that they would. But there was nothing, no no vaccines, no locator forms, just show your passport at Dublin Airport, which I was absolutely shocked about, to be honest. Seems to be you know, getting with, quite slack, the hype around it? it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and and on top of it, then when we went over to Amsterdam, which was absolutely brilliant, where there was no masks whatsoever had to be worn in public or inside or outside, which was a breath of fresh air, to be quite honest, which was brilliant. But hold on a second, were you happy with that? I was happy about it, to be honest. It was for me, it was just a break from the norm, you know. But I mean, coming back into Dublin Airport after wearing no masks in another country, then you know, I think it is up to the Irish, you know, government to be. When, when they are aware that countries are having no masks, you know, that they should be definitely checking uh, gotcha. for people yeah, coming yeah, back in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha, know? 100%. So it, it definitely needs to be ramped, ramped up a bit more, you know. Okay, the thank you for that. There, but it's not being followed through. Glad, okay, you're, glad you had a good break. Glad you enjoyed Amsterdam. Oh, Super. brilliant. It was, it was 
Thanks, Bye. Bye. Take care, Annette. Take care. Hi. How in God's name are people going to find that money to rent those kind of houses? They would, but they would so badly want to cap all rent now at say eight or nine hundred euro. Full stop. Even at that, it would be a big struggle. Struggle. How are they ever going to get a place of their own? Tommy Gould. Or Colin Kelleher should be up there fighting for those people who need a home. It's so, so bad, Neil, for people these days. They can't even move out of home now. Uh, I'm a landlord and I've never, ever, ever put up the rent. Um, somebody's suggesting there that eight or nine hundred should be the cap on, say, for instance, a three-bedroom semi. It's a disgrace, Neil, what's happening with rent. It's so depressing for all those people who can't find a way out of it. You do great work in helping people. You will be rewarded. No reward necessary. You know, Sometimes we have great success. And that's rewarding itself. Some landlords have taken the P. I'm a tenant renting in Cork for six years. We are in our third rental in Cork since 2015. The first rental, the landlord sold the house. We were lucky enough to find another in the local area. We were in the second rental for four years when the landlord again said they wanted to sell. This time we were really worried as we have three small kids well settled in the local school and the community and we know all too well that there are no houses available. Only by the grace of God we got first refusal on another house which was smaller and way more expensive, but we moved without hesitation. Three months went by, no for sale sign on the house. The house was not advertised on any of the real estate sites. I then see the house up for rent, the original house, up for rent on Daft, at double the rent we were paying, at €2,600 a month. It was not long before we noticed new tenants in the house, not from the local area, we went through undue stress, worrying about getting a roof over our head just so this landlord could get us out so that they could double the rent. Illegal and immoral and downright wrong on every level. We offered to increase the rent back in the day, but clearly there was not enough of an increase. We live in fear that it won't be long before we get a phone call with news that the landlord wants to sell again. Government needs to be held accountable for the housing crisis, but so do landlords. More needs to be done to protect tenants from this sort of behaviour. I mean, that is just scutting, isn't it, for want of a better word? Uh, get you out, pretend to be selling the house, wait three months, put it back on the rental market and get double the rent. Our lines will stay open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.